Hey guys, it's me, Alex, and uh, tonight I have on Greg from the Higher Side Chats. It is a very good episode. We talked for quite a while about a broad range of conspiratorial and just plain weird topics. So uh, you have that to look forward to. I hope you enjoy it. But since I had an actual proper guest on, I will do the plugs now and please hang out. I'll make them quick. Everything you can want from Alex, you can find at alexcast.com. Always spell Alex with two X's. I'm at the AlexCast on Twitter, and that's it for me. Click on things on my website, etc. You know the deal. Uh, I'm sponsored by a bar in Portland. It is a lovely bar. I like it very much. I go there myself, even if they didn't sponsor me. It's called The Standard. It's 14 Northeast 22nd in Portland, Oregon. Uh, you can find them online at facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. And yeah, show up. Enjoy. Uh, I always recommend uh, Sunday nights. is $3 microbrew nights. You'll see me there if you want to sidle up next to your favorite uncomfortable podcaster and see me as I futilely attempt to write a book at a bar and uh yeah it'd be good I could use the interruption so yes that is it very quick this week so please enjoy this episode I liked it very much and I think you will too It's me, Alex. Uh, welcome to the Alex Cast. Tonight, I have on the show for a guest. He is the owner of Conspiracies. He is the host of the Higher Side Chats, daring to ask the hard questions like who pulls the strings. He's the man that blazes the trails of chemtrails, illuminating the Illuminati, making the lizard people run in fear. Greg, my man, how the hell are you? <laughs> Better every day, man. I love that. Good did, job. Did I do it right? Yeah, yeah, right, that's good. about it. All right, I I really appreciate it. That took a lot longer than I care to admit. <laughs> uh, so let's get the uh, audience at home caught up because, well, I'm I think ninety nine percent of my audience knows who you are. But so Greg wow. is the host of the Higher Side Chats, which you can find at what's it HigherSideChats.com, or do we want to throw a the in there? Uh, there is a the. There okay. is a the. TheHigherSideChats.com. Yep, you got it. Yeah. So uh, you are the what? What, what did I read your thing today? It was weird trying to research you because I've been listening to your show for a while and we've spoken before. So I was like, doing research on your friend, it's kind of odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were you were a guest on my show and you did a great job with that uh, tarot reading. I'd say it's been pretty accurate. Oh, good. Uh, very, yeah. very glad to hear it. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> oh, that was it. That you were the mellow Alex Jones. That was that was the one. I oh thought, yeah, 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 yeah. I was. I um. I tried to describe the show, or why well, I used to describe it, at least on Twitter, I have it as uh, a bolder coast-to-coast -coast hosted by a more mellow Alex Jones, because I like to do the paranormal and the conspiracy, and I think those two are the most recognizable shows out there, but I think both of them do it wrong, or, don't, or could do it better, I should say. Yeah, I totally agree. I, uh, I was thinking you've, you've got more of a, trying to describe you, like kind of a, just a younger, less mm, idiotic Art Bell vibe. Yeah. <laughs> 
Not that Art Bell's an idiot. That. I shouldn't say that. I mean, he was up at three in the morning taking phone calls from people saying they were kidnapped from a base. So it's right. You can't yeah. really, you can't really uh, get a lot out of the guy. It's the material presented is tough to you know come across as uh, intelligent or you know having a lot of forethought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could not do it. When I hear the the call-ins on Coast to Coast, I think are the worst. And I think the reason that happens is because they're always on a conservative network. So these people are listening to Rush Limbaugh. Then they're listening to Glenn Beck. Then they're listening to Coast to Coast. And they start calling in about the Bible and all kinds of crazy stuff. And yeah, I I could not deal with that. It would drive me nuts. I moved out of the Midwest for a reason. I would not want to go back (laughs) to that type of talk. Yeah, uh, 100% (laughs) agree. That always throws... Actually, that's a good thing. I wanted to ask you about that. So I've been... One of the things I was listening to your show that always kind of amazed me, same as listening to the old Art Bell shows. I I, I don't know George Norrie as much, so when I when I think of Coast to Coast, I always think of Art Bell. But um, your ability to deal with guests that are saying some some really wacky stuff is kind of amazing to me because being a listener, you know, I'm a rube on the midway. Like you're you know you're tricking me into getting mad at this guy. But when you're talking <laughs> to people, is it it makes me very happy. But the religious thing is what Thurby is. Do you have like for me, it's when a conspiracy person out of nowhere starts quoting the Bible or starts, you know, it turns Bible, I go, ah, fuck it. I can't listen yeah. to you anymore. Do you, do you yeah. have one of those yeah. in your head? That's probably what annoys me the most of, of everything in the kind of conspiracy world. It is uh, people who are fundamentalist Christian and uh, new agers, really new agey, uh, airy fairy kind of people. Uh, that kind of annoys me too. But those two groups, when, I, I hate when Christians will make everything about Satanism, all the symbolism that they see in Hollywood or, uh, you know, hip hop, whatever. They make it about Satanism and they simplify the whole conspiracy down to a bunch of Satanists going against Jesus. And it's just like, wow, that is the worst conclusion, the worst narrative constructed from a few data points that I have ever seen. Yeah, that's it's a bad I. I like reading about those a lot. I mean, I can't do it in one sitting because I start to kind of fume. But I love what uh, the hip hop one. I was, I got you know just a vortex of reading about how Jay Z is uh, the head of the Illuminati and the Illuminati are Satan worshippers, and they're all from videos of him holding his hand above his head. Yeah, yeah, I, definitely. Some people go into the hip hop thing with well. Gordon White is a guy that I really like. He's a, a chaos magician, and he runs a blog called Rune Soup. And he broke it down when I talked to him. He's like, you know, a lot of these conspiracy researchers who are trying to decode the magic elements, they don't have a background in magic. So they have a really poor understanding of magic. So they're coming to some really off-the-wall conclusions and kind of just they're just, they're just wrong. And uh, I kind of agree with him. And so, yeah, you can see a whole lot of odd interpretations, but it's because people don't have a strong basis in what the true symbols are. And I mean, I don't either, but I'm not the one who's, you know, making a living writing three books about symbolism in Hollywood. Yeah, indeed. One, I'm glad you had Gordon on the show because, yeah, I was introduced to him a while ago because he kind of looks like me. And someone said, hey, we found this, I think he's English guy that looks like you and does strange chaos magic stuff. So I was like, oh, I have to. And yeah, I, I like him quite a bit. He's a that's a good guest. Yeah, yeah. I, you guys definitely have a similar tone of humor in your writing, I would say. And yeah, I, it makes sense that you'd appreciate him. He's pretty cool. 
Yeah, yeah, he was interesting. I think I actually tried to get him on the show at one point, and then, well, frankly, I give up easily. So good on you. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's that can be really tough when you're doing an only interview-based show like I do. It can be very tough. In fact, today I had someone scheduled this morning, and they didn't show up, and so we're gonna try to do it later. Yeah, that's frustrating. Oh, I mean, it is. Unless they're like super famous, then I can kind of overlook it. Like, like yeah. I'd be fine getting stood up by like a Graham Hancock. Be like, that's eh, fine. I'll just we'll reschedule. Don't even worry about it, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, but I guess I just feel like people just need to be men of their word, and yeah. it, no matter how much stuff you got going on, there's still 24 hours in the day. If you make a commitment to be somewhere for somebody, you should do it. Oh no, of course. It's it's quite frustrating me because I mean, you know, yeah, we we scheduled our in your case morning, in my case evening around this, so. I'm not saying I was going to be doing anything amazing with my night, but fuck, I would have been doing something else. I wouldn't be staring at my <laughs> Skype screen going, well, where the hell is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You were talking about the, the Gordon mentioning the um, not understanding the symbols. I, I get this a lot with listening to your show and listening to a lot of other shows and reading books and whatever that it's the same thing with people not understanding how science works, <laughs> yeah. where the same way like. On the, on the weird side is not understanding symbolism and, and the symbols used by certain groups and everybody thinking they're some vast conspiracy where it's it's almost like watching somebody like cross themselves, like a Christian cross themselves. And if you've never seen it before, you'd be like, oh, that's the weirdest shit ever. Um, the same with the science stuff is that you'll get people trying to like explain these concepts. And it's like, well, if you just had a just a passing familiarity with actual <laughs> science, not the quantum vibration of water this would be a lot easier on you, you know? Yeah, I, I get that. And I guess what I try to do when I have someone on the show as an interviewer, I try to, I consider myself, I guess, like a conspiracy entertainment talent scout. And I try to find people and then whatever their position is, I try to help them, you know, hold their hand and walk them through a two hour show that presents their information. So sometimes that means playing devil's advocate to make a case stronger. Sometimes it means just getting them out of the weeds and helping explain what they're trying to say and you know trying to fit it into the bigger conspiracy puzzle. You know every everybody's got a uh you know a different perspective and you kind of try to take pieces from everything. I like to think that there's at least some interesting aspects to most of these people's positions, even if they um, may, might be operating under some faulty knowledge of science. But I guess a lot of them also just take the position that you can't trust official sources, and they might take that definitely to the extreme. I've interviewed one guy, Eric Dubay. He is a flat earther, and he thinks that all of science, NASA, everything, has been a false construct to convince people of his particular perspective that we're just a, a nothing in a random universe. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's probably a little far. That's yeah. probably jumping the shark a bit. Well, he's, but he, I, no, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> oh no, but I was, I do think there, there is something to be said about, uh, the official sources lying to us in a lot of cases. So some people, you know, take that to varying degrees, but, I guess I would agree on that loose premise that we've been lied to in some major ways. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. But that flat earth guy was the one that, I mean, we, me and a couple of my other science-minded friends were going into epileptic seizures about how annoying he was to listen to. Because, not to listen to, I shouldn't say that. You as a host did a good job because 
you had me captivated by how, like, I recommended this interview to other science people going, oh, be annoyed with me. Hold my hand and be irritated. But he just lacked the fundamental science to, like, all of his points are, are were just driving me nuts as someone that, you know, I have a familiarity with science, like, and enough that it was, oh, the, the fury I was feeling. I was like, oh, well, good job, Greg, because it didn't even occur to me at the time. But I'm like, well, yeah, that's exactly what you should be doing. You, have, you, know, you had me captivated. But I think people like that, not that they're doing a, a bad thing, but I tend to believe that there can be conspiracies, but it gets watered down a lot with that side of it, you know, where everything's a conspiracy. Like you had the guy that said on 9-11 that no one actually died. I forget his name. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird one. Like I said, people do take these things to really odd extremes. Um, the one thing I did think that was kind of cool about the flat earth argument that I never really considered is just the composition that they think the earth is made of. Because I would assume like, you know, obviously the first thing you think is, well, where's the edge? Why don't you fly off the edge? And when they break it down and say, well, the composition of the earth is actually like the UN's flag, where the North Pole would be in the center like a bullseye with the uh, continents around and then the outside ring is Antarctica. And you kind of fly around like as you would the rings of a dartboard, I was like, huh, that's actually kind of interesting. You know, I never would have, uh, I never would have thought of that before. I would have just automatically dismissed it. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. But of course, in the end, I, I wasn't convinced. Yeah, <laughs> That was, see, my, my problem, not, not to just pick on that guy, but that was the one that really like annoyed me recently is, so for his theory to work is we have to have, the largest conspiracy ever that every single space photo is faked. There's a giant wall of ice surrounding the earth. Like there's this mountain of, of things that have to be made, you know, made up for this, for his view to work. And somehow there's no whistleblowers other than him. Just (laughs) the simple solution is, is well, it's, it's obviously around earth. Like it's, you know, the, like I, I like people questioning because I don't believe in a lot of the horseshit I was taught. It's generally most of it was wrong or at least a really easy version of things, but not a, not a giant wall of ice surrounding the earth. That, yeah, yeah it, it isn't, it is a lot, but I would also say just to make it more provocative, I say, I mean, he, he points out in the interview that from your personal perspective, uh, the earth does look flat or it should. I mean, the horizon's always flat and to get the information of around earth, you really do have to go to some type of authority uh, of some type. And I'm not saying, obviously, that everybody is keeping this big secret, but, um, you know, the average person, maybe more now than ever, of course, but not so much in, uh, you know, the early 1900s, you don't have the kind of tools necessary to prove that to yourself. You know, you do have to trust someone. Well, so um, I, so- and I guess that's a, that's a loose thing to hinge an entire theory on, but... You know, like I said, people take that paranoia to the utmost extremes and throw the baby out with all the bathwater and don't trust anything. Yeah, I sort of just the the, the flat earth one is one that especially gets me because the whole there's a thing referred to as the myth of the flat earth. Um, It's a fun thing to look into if you ever get bored. I mean, you got enough on your hands, but (laughs) no one in the past ever thought the earth earth was flat. That's that's a that's a fallacy. That was I think it came out in like the 17 or 1800s. It was uh, some famous writer, I don't remember his name, I wish I had written it down beforehand, I would have seemed so smart right now, made a reference that the that all the people of the past thought the world was flat. 
no one did. Like all the all the Greek writers, the philosophers, they refer to it as a sphere. Um, actually, I sent you a link at one point. This guy, uh, I don't remember his name, but in like 300 BC, calculated the circumference of the Earth, and he was within like a thousand miles, using just like basically he used the um, the like the sun at the solstice, and then like looked at a shadow, that kind of thing, and like figured yeah. it out. So they all knew. It just became right. this kind of recent thing. So just actually weirdly enough, the conspiracy is that there ever was a flat earth theory. You know, <laughs> well, oddly that's enough. That's a yeah. funny twist on it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you can also look at uh, some Egyptian hieroglyphs that show the composition of the planets up out until uh, till Saturn. So, I mean, yeah, of course, also so many ancient cultures had pretty advanced astrology, which I mean, they don't necessarily have to think that the Earth is round for that, but you probably get some type of indication that you're in some type of space and there's other things out there. Yeah. And then the other thing I didn't get about his argument, maybe I was just being dense, but I didn't understand how, like, the reason we we all knew the Earth was round is because you could watch a ship go out to the horizon and watch it, you know, kind of cross the horizon and look like it's sinking down. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand in his theory, wh- where where does that boat go then? Because... It's you're seeing this curve of the earth by watching the boat go away. Sorry, I don't mean to right. hype on this one guy who's just like, no, it's, copy. It's, yeah. we're just, you know, we're just spitballing yeah. and this is where we are. And I like playing devil's advocate for really crazy things that even I don't believe because it's yeah. just fun. But I, I really don't know. I think he would just say that the distance is what yeah. causes it to go away. Yeah. But he does show some kind of compelling videos of people tying HD cameras to balloons and just sending them straight up and as high up as it goes, you never see the uh, the horizon change from looking flat. And it's kind of funny because I went on a cruise really shortly after that episode and the whole time up to going out, I was like, I can't wait to get in the middle of the damn ocean <laughs> and just see as far out as I can, see if I see any curve, you know, and uh, I, I didn't. And I, I couldn't stop saying to my girlfriend, I'm like, see, look at this flat earth we're on. <laughs> you could see it. Uh, I, it I was I was going to I really I was going to invite that guy on my show and yell at him. I'm like, yeah, I'll do whatever. That's let him have You should, fun. man, because yeah. I think he what I will say is he invites debate. And I, I like yeah. that about him is that I thought he was pretty willing to deal with some of the some of the issues people might have with it. I feel like he does have an answer to everything, whether, you know, obviously it's the end premise isn't correct. Yeah, but yeah. He does have an answer to everything that I think makes you scratch your head. And you're like, huh, yeah, I guess I, I guess that's an answer. Oh, no, totally. Like he did a good job in that before I heard that interview. If you said, hey, Alex, is there any way you can sound like an intelligent person? while defending the flat earth. I'd be like, hell no, you can't. You're going to sound like half an idiot. And that guy actually sounded like an intelligent guy that just, he's got his head around something weird, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what makes, and there are people who emailed me and said, you know, you're doing a disservice by getting this guy on the air because this is clearly ludicrous. And, you know, you're supposed to be searching for the truth. And now you're, you're kind of just, you know, you're discrediting yourself and the movement. And I'm like, look, you are, putting way too much on this singular episode. I My premise was I looked into it a little bit, thought he had some good rebuttals for mainstream science and thought, if I don't do this episode, if the Higher Side Chats doesn't do the Flat Earth episode, who is going to do it? Okay. Nobody is going to do it. Oh, totally. No, I, I'm, I'm happy you did it. It was just one of those, I mean, and this is the thing. It, it caused a debate. It got people to talk. And that's, you know, that's the point of what we do. Like, you know, if, if you were trying to be, you know, a science educator, you would, 
you wouldn't be hosting a podcast. You would have gone to school and, you know, been a science educator. You know, there's no, you know, you, it, it isn't the higher side chat starring Dr. Greg and his explanation for everything. Right. Though, actually, uh, that kind of reminded me on the people yelling at you. Have you seen the Ancient Aliens debunked? Have you sat through that? I haven't sat through it. Um, I do know it's out there. And I guess, I can't remember. I think Joe Rogan at one point was talking about it because he had Giorgio Sukalos on his podcast a couple of times. Yeah. And he played the beginning of it. And just based off the beginning, it just seemed like the guy had such a chip on his shoulder about the theory that I didn't, you know, I didn't really trust his position either. Not that I'm a full-on believer of the the ancient alien theory either, but I guess I just, I didn't need to hear it rebutted, or at least, you know, because yeah. I haven't fully accepted it. There's, there's a lot, it, that's one of those ones that it's, I always want to recommend that video, and I have recommended it to people, but the end of the video, it goes all Christian, it's like, ugh, like, I, I want to tell mm. everybody, like, just watch the first bunch, because... I'm not saying the ancient alien thing is true or not true, but a lot of the stuff that guy, like some of the evidence, quote unquote, that the show puts up, this dude smashes it. It's really funny. Like that <laughs> stupid pin that Giorgio wears, the dude shows a picture of the fish it's modeled after. It's got all the frill and like it looks exactly really? like the motherfucker's pin. Like it's, there's no way that his pin isn't that fish. And I'd never seen that before. Like I always, yeah. I was, because on the show, that's a good point. It's like, yeah, that doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. That's obviously a spaceship. Like, but then this guy shows this fish that's from like two miles away from where they found it. You're like, oh, damn. All right. Well, I guess I am. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it always is kind of a, a bummer when something like that gets rained on, at least to me, because I like the I like the idea that the world in the past is just that weird. And I'm sure it is maybe in in different ways, something that Gordon White did bring up was the Mimi virus and the idea that we, we found this thing and apparently it's classified as a virus, but yet it has a lot of characteristics that don't fit that de definition. It can kind of feed on itself and it, it has these interesting qualities to it. And he suggests that not necessarily that, that one, but that Mimi virus is a template for something that could be possible, which is like, the directed panspermia theory, like uh, the way he describes it is something could have hit here and unpacked like George Jetson's suitcase, yeah. you know, and just started terraforming itself, kind of like the movie Prometheus. Uh, and I think that's an interesting premise. And that's kind of like Ancient Aliens, just in a different way, in a more scientifically based way. Yeah. Uh, equally weird. See, um, I like that one a lot more. Uh, there's this... I forget, I think it was Arthur C. Clarke, it's one of the famous smarty pants uh, sci-fi writers, saying that we, we as humans are never going to explore space. What we're going to do is get, like, either we get hyper-intelligent kind of robot nanite things, and we just send them everywhere to look for shit. Mm -hmm. And eventually, we'll just send them out with some of our building materials. So they'll land on a planet, exactly what you're saying, just, it'll just basically sneeze out some DNA, and then... A couple billion years down the line, there might be a human civilization there, but the distances are so vast that we are never going to be able to travel it. So we basically just, you know, send yeah. a bunch of our, our junk up there. And that seems completely likely to me because this is where I start questioning things. The whole idea that you had like some weird primordial gunk on the planet and then somehow it starts making, even just making a single cell organism, that, that I can't get my head around that. 
I I can get once you have a single celled organism, got it. Evolution makes complete fucking sense to me. I don't understand how. Okay, dead planet, dead planet stuff, and then oh, there's a, <laughs> that's the one that kind of that's where like yeah, there's there's right. got to be something going on here. It's really hard to get from no stuff to stuff. Yeah. It is. That's definitely the hardest part to bridge, and that's why I think people look for really far out narratives to kind of fill that space, whether it's ancient aliens came here in a spaceship and and smushed together some ape genetics and their own genetics, or the Anunnaki raped our women and popped out the Nephilim, and they come up with these ideas, but I think, just like you said about the nanobots, I think that the directed panspermia idea, and maybe it's just because it's the freshest in my mind, but I think that does make the most sense. And he also, Gordon also talks a lot about DNA. DNA is a code and it seems like the kind of code, which obviously exists in everything on earth that would have came from some type of unfolding of some type of terraforming project, you know, a code based project. Yeah, no, it's totally that. That's one of the ones that makes sense to me. And it also like, I don't have to be kind of embarrassed around my kind of traditional thinking friends to bring that one up you know that's yeah. that's that like cause I, like i'm not saying i believe in shape-shifting reptilians that run the planet but i i, I mean honestly i kind of have like a little bit in the back of my head i'm not saying i believe them but like i sort of hold that idea open that there might be something like that going on and that's really tough at dinner parties but you can talk <laughs> about you know there's uh I, gordon may have mentioned it. i didn't hear that one yet um there's another kind of similar theory that it's it's mushrooms that yeah. is basically, yeah, it's spores of mushroom. Because if you look at mushrooms like on the like the taxonomic table or whatever you call it, like the table of how life fits together, mushrooms are actually more closely related to animals than they are, you know, of the vegetable kingdom, like the way that their mm-hmm. cell structures are. And apparently yeah. they're super hardy and can hang out in space. So there's one of the, I guess the, one of the theories is that basically just some, you know, fungus spores latch onto a comet and then just, you know, it's not even directed panspermia at that point. It's just, you know random yeah it's it's almost like we're the result of you know mold you know yeah that's uh that was another thing about the mimi viruses it could survive in space but yeah the spores surviving in space that was a big thing that terrence mckenna was always about his stoned ape theory uh he actually i guess he tried to fit that into evolution by saying that the mushroom the sil- you know the psychedelic mushroom hitched a ride to earth got here and then as chimps just started using the mushroom, they developed intelligence. And that that was the great spark that that really facilitated our evolution. And I think he's giving too much credit to the mushroom, but it has done amazing things for me in my life. And I think it definitely speaks to some type of other intelligence. And on the subject of reptilian shapeshifters, I mean, if you're into magic, I feel like you kind of have to leave the door open for some type of interdimensional spiritual entity having an influence on powerful people on the planet and you know potentially running the show oh totally and it the, it it makes sense on this certain level that the, not the shape-shifting part like it being malevolent oh, yeah. spirit or just the shape-shifting just, um, whatever it's fine that to me is people just putting it into a materialist box you know same yeah. with the panspermia thing People just want to say, oh, well, I only know what I can see, so therefore it must have been some type of humanoid alien instead of going deeper and saying, well, it might have been some type of terraforming virus, you know, and I think that it's just people putting that 
that lens on it where I can see it again with the reptilians instead of thinking about it as deeper like some not some spiritual multi-dimensional more complex thing they just sum it up to a lizard because that's all they can kind of conceive for people who are just looking at that surface yeah yeah exactly and there's and it just kind of it's almost like a like a variable or a placeholder because it's like oh that that's it, it's kind of like how people like the really traditional like uh religious people where it's like oh there's just all i can perceive of god is guy with beard in cloud instead of something with any kind of nuance because this is where I agree with the modern atheist movement. Yeah, a guy with beard and cloud is really stupid. Like, there's yeah. there's no fucking way that's the answer. But, I mean, maybe yeah. there's a, you know, a one in a 18 quad billion percent chance. But, yeah, there's there's no fucking way. But yeah. because Poor it just literal rep- interpretation. Yeah, oh, well, that's just, that's what, that's a, that's a stopper for me in any conversation where <laughs> it's in that, you know, in the, in the Bible as we know it, like, whatever, you know. If you read, like, Genesis has two different accounts for how humans got made, and they don't agree with each other. And that's in the first fucking book. Like, if that's a literal, like, if you're supposed to take that book literally, like, you you can't. And if you can, Mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, you have critical thinking skills that are drastically lacking, because I don't think you're allowed to take things literally at that point, because you don't understand what figurative means. (laughs) Exactly. To me, it's like there's definite parallels to someone stumbling upon some secret information that talks about, uh, you know, multidimensional communication with entities and they're looking at it and they don't have the context. So they interpret it as uh, like a literal reptilian being. Yeah. And there's a real parallel to someone who looks at the Bible, which, you know, I'm kind of over it, but people have pointed out some really interesting things coded deep within it. Um, but yeah, of course, there's pe- the people who have the literal interpretation. That's way over their head. Yeah. Well, that's that narrative. The interesting thing is, it, so throwing out the literal interpretation, let's let's just agree that that's we're yeah, never going to take. So that dumb to not. This shouldn't even be talked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the in the figurative one, it is interesting because going back to the mushroom being the cause of evolution. If you take because in in the in the Bible, it just is the fruit of the tree. It doesn't say apple or anything. It just is the fruit of the tree. Yeah. There is a theory that that's a mushroom. That this is. Yeah like kind of a remnant remembrance of how we, you know, how we got smart. And that's something that appears in a lot of, like Greek has the, the myth of uh, Eris and the, I think it's Eris and the apple or no, 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 it's Pandora, right? She's the one that gets all the, either way, there's a very similar myth of uh, the first person wanting knowledge and then Mm -hmm. knowledge coming in the form of like, you know, this tangible object. That's weird that that would overlap so much. And if we are kind of built from, you know, space mushrooms, that kind of makes it like we have this weird monkey memory still hanging out in us. So we tried to like tell a story about it to try to make sense. Yeah. I think that when you look at the tree of knowledge and the, or the fruit of knowledge, I mean, once you have a psychedelic context, once you've had a few experiences in that realm and you think about ancient people trying to describe that experience, what word would you put on that other than knowledge? You know, oh, totally. to me, yeah. I, I feel like there's a strong case for that. And also, uh, John Michael Allegro is one of the guys who wrote a book, that's, uh, Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, and he makes the case that a lot of our traditions for uh, Christmas come from the mushroom. Santa's red and white suit is the red and white of the Amanita muscaria mushroom. Uh, the idea that the reindeer are flying, you know, is a kind of a psychedelic thing. You know, people seeing the reindeer fly. Also, uh, I guess... 
hanging stockings above the mantle was used, they used to hang the mushroom again stockings being red and white you'd hang the mushrooms to dry so far out stuff but these weird traditions that have been commercialized in modern society have a strange basis and for them to be based on something potentially the mushroom which is illegal in today's society it's so funny to think that Macy's has their Santa Claus out here and all, we're bringing all our kids out to see Santa Claus which is some archetype that might have manifested based on the mushrooms somehow. It's kind of ironic that a guy on mushrooms or who represents mushrooms would be the last place you'd be taking your kids. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. At a Macy's. <laughs> well, this goes to that kind of thing of like, you know, language having power that this is the, this is actually the uh, kind of the plan of the ruling elite to, to use a, you know, kind of really trite term because it's way too big, but that, so we, there is a Thursday in the week. There is a Wednesday in the week. There is every major pagan holiday has been usurped by Christian things. So we are giving power to all these ancient concepts in our everyday life without realizing it. So one of the kind of, and sadly it's a, from David Icke, but from a million years ago, David Icke, before he was lizard people, he used to call it the Lucifer consciousness that mm-hmm. the bad guys essentially are these evil kind of spirits that feed off of, you know, negative vibes or feed off of like, the, uh, you know, ritual or feed off of praise. And yeah. if like taking that in, it's like, oh, shit, that's because if there is a, if there is a one grand conspiracy, they suck at it. <laughs> like they should have won a while ago, you know? Yeah. That's why I like the Archon idea of Gnosticism, the, which is exactly that. It's a spiritual parasite. That either, and I guess there's debate, some interpretate, interpret it one way or another, but either knowingly or unknowingly uh, interfaces with people and either kind of, either their basically psychopathic behavior would be, we think of it as like a chemical imbalance perhaps, but it could be more of a possession or a hijacking by this parasitic spiritual force. Uh, it's it's far out, but I, I do like the idea because then when you get into why do billionaires need to rape kids in basements uh, on the altar, it, maybe because they're possessed by the archons. Yeah. I don't and, know. Because you seem like, why would they care about that? Maybe just, a, I guess, a gross showing of power. But there's, I think, you know, plenty of whispers about strange rituals and they have to be inspired by something. Yeah, I just, I... I found it through a really dumb video uh, that I couldn't resist. I talked about it on my uh, on the show, but um, it was. It, it, have you heard Jimmy Savile, that that English presenter guy that got busted for basically you know messing with kids? Yeah. So I found a video on YouTube that vaguely well produced, but like you know some of the some of the stuff in there is wild. But it's uh, it's called like was Jimmy Savile uh, like was Jimmy Savile a dark wizard or something? It was what's the <laughs> title of it? But it goes through and apparently. He was caught, like, there's pictures of him in ceremonial garb that looked to me, and I know a fair bit about magic, looked like magical garb. Mm-hmm. He had, like, ceremonies places from what I've heard. He had hidden chambers under the, um, under a children's hospital and under the, um, under like a prison, I think was the other one, where he like kept an apartment there. And, and it's that, you know, feeding off a dark energy thing. Where else are you going to find more dark energy than under a prison and then under the hospital? And it's just, there's some crazy stuff there where it's like, I had heard about all that stuff, what we're talking about, the dark, why would you have a ritual in your basement? Like, we're aware of this. And then when something new comes out that almost confirms it, 
that's when it starts from like, oh, well, this is some weird shit that, you know, wacky people are inventing a theory about to this is science. We we talked about a theory and then more evidence showed up for that theory. That's kind of hard to put down at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's the the magic thing, the energy thing. You have a way better understanding of it than I do, but I do find it fascinating. Even like you said about the days of the week and us giving our energy just by being consciously aware of saying Saturday, you know, we're, we're giving our attention subconsciously to Saturn. Uh, that's fascinating. That and I get, I get the logic there, but I don't get what it does really in the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, you can make the case for it, but what's the, you know, what are they getting out of creating that paradigm? Yeah. Other than just the energy thing, that's the only thing I could come up with. And you know, this is something I wanted to ask you is like, what, what do you think the point of all this is? Like the, the grand conspiracy, if there is the, the builder group, the, the Illuminati, the, et cetera, et cetera, all the, the, the top things we've heard about through the years, what yeah, are they trying I, to do? Cause I mean, again, they suck at it. If they're trying to just take over, like they should have been able to do that in 16, whatever, like this is. So something else is going on if they're there and some are there. Like the Builder group exists. I've seen pictures of their meetings. Like yeah. some of the shit is happening. So what, what's their goal? I don't, you know, I, that's well, where I get lost. Yeah. I mean, and that it really is d- kind of pinpointing motivations of something is, is a real gray area that's tough. But I mean, I could make a pretty good argument. I think that they, they are doing a pretty good job, that they do have a pretty solid control on things when we're talking about. Uh, fractional reserve banking or just this whole banking network. I mean, there's very few countries that aren't involved when you talk about uh, economic hitmen or, you know, going to these smaller nations and getting control of them. I mean, when you, I, I think the stat is 85% of, or 85 people have as much wealth as half the planet. I mean, there's your global elite right there. They're doing a pretty good job if their mission is wealth extraction. All the major corporations seem to be uh, lockstep with similar agendas. Uh, education is about dumbing people down. And, you know, uh, the police force is getting more aggressive all the time. Uh, our food is not in great shape right now. If you have any problems with GMOs or anything, uh, I mean, I, I think I could make an argument that they're doing a pretty good job. Well, I, yeah, on that side, yeah. What you're saying is an argument. I, I guess I more mean is what's the end game of I suppose I think this is I was trying to talk about this the other day, and I think maybe I just don't have that gene for like wanting power or wanting all the money oh, right. is what what now? Like, all right. So you have like, yeah, they have a bunch of money. But is that it? Is that the like it's all this like conspiratorial stuff, like all these people like behind the scenes. Is it really something? It's just now they have more money. Is that the. Yeah, I like I that's agree. the part that. Yeah, I do agree with you there. And that's another area where I come back to the idea of an, of a, a parasite or some type of archonic possession because why don't why, when is enough enough you know um, I've had tremendous luck with this show's success in the past year and I now put out five shows a month and get paid enough to pay my bills to do that and that's about I mean really if when you get down to it it's like 50 or 60 hours a month. Of course, there's a lot of stuff that goes with it, but just doing the show, it doesn't take a whole lot of work, and I like to enjoy my time off, and I can only imagine, like, when is enough enough? You know, I could probably do 10 shows a month and charge $10 instead, but I don't want to 
do that much work. And when you look at a guy like David Rockefeller, I'm like, you kind of go to a nine to five every day, man. You may have a billion in the bank, but you're still going to all these meetings and worrying about what other people are doing. Like buy an island and get high and relax. Yeah, that's I guess that's really my question is why. Yeah, that's the so there must be something behind. They must be not must, but. Yeah, that's well, they, they get off on the power, like you know, or on a metaphysical thing. They literally, you know, they're getting weird juice off of us for our, our misery right. and our. It's yeah, it's just that's the one I can't get. the The other side of this too is, I myself have have found myself concerned over the one world government, right? That that's mm-hmm. that's. But isn't that like how Star Trek starts? That we <laughs> I all definitely. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that the one world government is necessarily the play because. I think that they pretty much have that now because a one world government's no good because you can't pit nations against each other. They have uh, they have kind of a behind the scenes one world system right now, um, but in the on the front end to us it's still all separate. So they can put Russia against America. They can put you know China against America if they want to. Um, but if they have a one world government, you can't necessarily do that. So. I, I would argue that they wanted to get to – they may be ho- hoping for a slight consolidation of power from this point, but ultimately there is no real opposition. Of course, you could say that if the, if the global elite, if the powerful puppet masters of the power pyramid are the banking families that are involved in fractional reserve banking in the Rothschild-Rockefeller network, their, their opposition would be the BRIC, net, uh, the BRIC nations, you know, Brazil, Iran, China – What's our Russia, Russia. Yeah, there would be those nations, but that's really it. And you could also argue that at a higher level, they kind of work together. I mean, obviously, their our interests are aligned to some extent. I think that's a part of globalization is getting everybody dependent on each other to a point that you can kind of pull this lever or tighten this string or, you know, kind of basically have all these nations economies on puppet strings. And I think they kind of do. And from that point, I don't see a lot of motivation for going much further. Yeah, totally. That's that's the kind of the side thing where, yeah, they already have us as like, you know, there's some of the stuff is in, in, inarguable, like the money stuff is just true. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's just it's fact. Like we're yeah. a debt based economy. There's some things that just can't really argue that much. But yeah, I always thought like the one world government is like that actually seems pretty cool once we get over like the in, the initial like tribulations because again that's how Star Trek started like we yeah. we bind ourselves together like it'd be really tough to blow up you know a country on the planet if we're all one country you know it'd be, it'd, I totally yeah. agree and and uh, I'm a different kind of conspiracy guy the thing is is I like the term conspiracy I like I like its provocativeness and I like to identify as that and sometimes I do have guests when I they get my interview requests and they'll be like. I don't know why you would want me to have be on a conspiracy show. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't always label myself like that because I do think there's a, a wider net to be cast. But I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. one world government. Yeah, yeah. of course. I, um, that, the reason I, I went in the direction of saying I'm a different kind of conspiracy theorist is because a lot of people like Alex Jones, you know, a lot of them scream about immigrants, about either – uh, you know, Mexicans coming in, they want to shut the border down. They have a lot of conservative views. I would love to get rid of borders. I would love to not even have to get a document that shows I'm a human being. Why do I need a passport with my picture on it? Doesn't my face 
always come with me? Yeah. You know, like, aren't I walking around? Doesn't that prove that I'm a human being born on this earth? There's no other place for me to come from. Why can't we just go around the planet as we want? Why can't I just go to Russia tomorrow without any documents whatsoever? What is the problem with traveling around? Everybody's got to be tagged and, and kept in their birthplace island. Like, I'm considering moving to Europe because now that the show operates uh, and I don't have to have a real job, I can just be anywhere with an internet connection. I'm, I really want to get a more worldly uh, opinion of things. I want to live over there for a while. But it's really tough. It's a lot of red tape. And I'm for the first time, I'm looking at things like, oh, you have to get a visa that only lasts six months. And I'm like, so you want me to move over here with my pets and girlfriend and sit, set up shop just to like worry about being kicked out if I don't renew this paperwork all the time? And that's the big bitch about living anywhere else. And it's, it's stupid. It's so dumb. We only have one life to live. Shouldn't we experience the earth in its totality Without any red tape, that's all man-made bullshit. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. It's annoying. I, I looked at I looked at expatriating a while ago. I, I was just like seriously just going to go to like Canada or something. It just <laughs> I just was getting you know this country doesn't represent what it was when I was a kid, and that's the one I was you know I was indoctrinated to love the country to love America of the 1980s, and that shit's yeah. well gone. So I was like, all right, I'll try to move north. You know, get health care. You know, you know people are nice as long as you're yeah. close to the border. The weather's not too bad, but. It is just a pain in the ass to try to move even to Canada. Like, you have to, like, there's all sorts of tests. You have to prove that you'd be a useful citizen. There's all of this shit. And it's just, it's a, it's a manufactured border that I could easily cross. You know, you just, you, you can, that, uh, Pacific Crest, uh, trail on the West Coast here that, that people walk. It goes from Mexico to Canada. It's like one Mm -hmm. of those, like, you just, at, at the Northern point, you just walk across the Canadian border. There's a little post that says, Hey, you're in Canada now. Yeah. I could do that. That's the way it should yep. be, except for um, now if I want to have a credit card or get a job or something. Nope, not a fucking chance, you know? Right. So, it's, you're, yeah, you're allowed stupid. to do things as long as you're not in the system. Yeah, it's dumb. The only thing I've – I've been to Canada, to uh, Vancouver. I loved it. I thought it was like a really beautiful city, a very clean city. And uh, I've also gone down to Tijuana to the dentist a couple times, which is actually an amazing experience and super cheap, 40 bucks for a teeth cleaning. And if when you get in a cab at the border, they will pay for your cab. Like when you go in, you just get five bucks from them to give to the cab driver. I'm like, wow, nowhere in the States is that crazy nice. And um, yeah, it was just it was a great experience. And it seemed like it might be scary at first because we're, we're programmed to think Tijuana is just a a mess, but it's not. It's just people live everywhere and they live relatively fine everywhere. I think that's something that, uh, you know, people have problems with. Like I'm actually taking a trip overseas coming up here and, you know, my girlfriend's parents are very, very worried about it. And it's like, you don't have to worry. People live everywhere. And it's not like they live in a constant fear of death all in all kinds of places like it's relatively peaceful most places yeah except for where america is currently flying drones that's the yeah that's the that's yeah. the, that's the part where people are living in constant fear mm-hmm. i i saw this horrific video it was uh people talking to uh, uh people in afghanistan and iraq and them describing the terror they feel feel when they hear the drone coming over because like mm-hmm. a lot of the times they just bomb random shit like you know, weddings and whatever. Not, I shouldn't say a lot, but 
it happens enough that like they describe the terror they feel and how they're like this noise, almost like this Pavlovian response as they hear that. And it's just, they have this fear of America goes through them. And it's like, that's, that can't be healthy. So Dude. yeah, I know it's kind of a side, side conversation with your nice uh, thing about going to nice places, but yeah, the, those <laughs> no, places I, are scary. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm with you there. And also on the subject of energy, you know, us giving our energy to something, there is a case to be made, I think, from from some researchers that <clears throat> money is a very alchemical process. You know, we see these ancient priesthoods that are very involved with the financial system in the ancient times, and they're basically creating. I mean, money is is there every time they issue it, it's it's just debt. So you're basically creating wealth out of nothing. And there's the way people are mystified by money. I definitely feel like it has magical properties and if you live in America just living here they've set this network up so that your tax dollars which you're forced to give go to fund war so are you energetically held accountable for what happens with your money I mean I don't know but I think there are people who make that case are you karmically responsible because this couldn't be done without your funding and your not doing anything about it. You know, you're going to work at GameStop for 10 years knowing full well that you're giving money to the war machine. And at some point, are are you responsible? Is there an effect? Yeah, I've thought about that before. That the alchemical is the perfect word for it is we're literally we're transmuting American and, and foreign lives into money is we're mm-hmm. sending soldiers off and we're getting vast contracts with with military outfits, Halliburton, et cetera. What are they called? Blackwater. Um, And we all benefit. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So our money, we're transmuting young lives, young, vibrant energy back into money. And that's, I mean, that literally, that's, that's old school alchemy. That's, that's some dark wizard shit. Well, not alchemy is not dark wizard shit, but yeah, you're, it's sacrifice. You're, you're sacrificing to dollars and it's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty fucking freaky, especially in wars where I'm not like, I'm not the dumbest person that's ever existed, but I have no fucking idea why we're in any war right now. I, I, I'm not exaggerating at all. I, do, I mean, the the mainstream view. Yeah. I literally don't know why there's people with my flag on their shoulder shooting people. I, I, don't, oh, I don't have an idea. I know. I know. And uh, I obviously a conspiracy 101 thing is 9-11. That's been and for anyone who's 30, 40 years old, most people that that would be your major catalyst. If you went down a conspiratorial road, you probably started with 9-11, uh, you know, whatever side of the fence you are on it. it. It's interesting. Once you get into history, false flags are not uncommon at all. In fact, most wars, most wars, you can find the catalyst was a false flag. And so then you get into, well, why do wars start? And then you get into, you know, all wars are banker wars. They're all just nations pitting each other against each other. And that's why we got into what's the point of a one world government when you have a chessboard with opposing teams and you control both sides. You know, yeah. the same bankers fund both sides and then just eventually decide which one to pull the plug on. And it's fucked up. But when they need more money, you just create a catalyst. You know, country A accidentally fires on country B's warship in Gulf XYZ. Yeah. And now we're in a 10 year war. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's, well, it's 
the gulf Crazy. is the perfect word. So if, if the audience at home, I, I talk about conspiracy th- theory every now and again on the show, but not that much. I, I kind of gave up on it after 9-11 kind of went out of control and the theory started getting completely ridiculous. I kind of just got, I got burnt out a bit. But look up Here the Gulf of Tonkin for everybody yeah. at home that doesn't think conspiracy theories exist. There's one that, that happened and it's true and we went to war because of it and it's admitted we bullshit it. it, it, it we faked it yeah. to get us into a war. Conspiracy theories are 100% true. There's been a million of them. It's just once people admit it, you don't realize it was a conspiracy theory. But no, it was. And it is yeah. one, you know? And all, another rabbit hole is the all the lone gunmen out there. That there's a conspiracy that they're either patsies and that there's actually trained killers that go in and then they drop this patsy. And it gets really dark and really kind of far out. And uh, people have a lot of emotional reactions to those theories. But ultimately, and I think there are some great cases in there, but ultimately what it says says to me is that people are relatively positive and it takes a lot of rattling of the beehive to get us screwed up. You know, we don't want to go to war with other nations until we're uh, shown the catalyst of false flag X, Y, and Z. You know, we don't generally have a problem with other people unless the nest is really stirred. You, it ha- they have to put a lot of energy into getting us to hate other people. Um, and I think that's ultimately the positive message when you get deep, deep down into conspiracy rather than paranoia. Oh, my God, the elite are going to get me. I think the, the response should be more like, wow, not, you know, the, really, the randomness, the random evil in the world is generally manipulated to some degree. And most of the evil is concentrated in ultimate power. And if you're not, you know, worried about your neighbor and instead you know that the only real concern is those powerful people, well, most of us are generally off the radar of the powerful people to some extent. So you can kind of just live your life with one foot in the game and one foot out and not be quite so fearful, I would say. Oh, totally. Yeah. Hey, there's, that's a really good point of we're not on the radar. I don't know that. I mean, maybe you are. You have a popular enough show that maybe maybe some person on the low end of the elite structure have heard, has heard of you. But <laughs> other other than you, I don't think I know a single person that we're going to actually need to worry about. Like it's, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just some weirdo that lives in a basement in Portland. Like there's no there's there's no NSA involvement. They're probably recording everything I say, but no one's going to sit there and listen to it. There's not enough manpower it's yeah. like, yeah, the, the conspiracies are out there, but for the most part, it's, you don't have to worry about it if you're a regular citizen and right. the other side too, but my favorite thing, and I've, I've heard other people talk about this as well, but I have a friend that smokes cigarettes and he is obsessed with uh, how he won't drink fluoride in the water. Mm. You're smoking a cigarette, dude. Like I, like I, That's I, true. I totally understand. Like I'm not, not even bringing up the Floyd argument. I, I don't, it's the both sides actually seem to have a really cool argument to me. But when you have a cigarette in your hand, I really think you have to reprioritize like what you have to worry about. And that's, that's true. Yeah, that's the same Pick thing. Pick your he, poisons. Yeah. Well, he's also a, uh, a, a chemtrail believer. And it's just one of those. I, I, you smoke, you're inhaling direct poison. How could you possibly be that concerned over over, you know, dropping chemicals on you? Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think the, the the fluoride thing, the thing that I think is most interesting about it is if it's just for the if it's just for the health of our teeth, I mean that is the argument. They say it is just for the health of our teeth. Where else in society do you see 
governments spending large amounts of money for somebody's health benefit in, in a similar way. I'd say it's almost non-existent. And yeah. if, if you really want people to be healthier, why aren't we just putting vitamins in the water? Something totally non-controversial and totally helpful, just putting vitamins in there. But instead, it has to be this fluoride thing, which, of course, um, the the other conspiracy point people make about it is it is a byproduct of chemical processes from the Rockefeller you know, chemical companies. So they needed to find a way to, to get rid of it. And it was expensive to just, you know, it's expensive to get rid of waste so that they found a way to sell it to us under the guise that it's health, healthy for our teeth. So they take a byproduct, now create it, turn it into an asset, and they make it profitable. They also did the same with... Uh, with oil, I guess this guy David Bloom, who was a guest I had a long time ago, and his his whole thing really stuck with me because it was very unique because I never understood prohibition. I thought it was just this one weird time where conservative Christians actually changed something by screaming loud enough. But it turns out that those networks that did that were backed by Rockefeller corporations because they wanted to get rid of alcohol as a fuel, not necessarily as a consumable. They don't give a shit about people's health. But they wanted all these farmers to get rid of their alcohol stills because they had tractors, farm equipment, and cars that could run on, on alcohol. And they had to get rid of that so that they could sell us the oil, which the oil was apparently a byproduct of their lanterns of the time. They, had, they would separate it, and they had to either get rid of that as waste, again, a same, similar parallel to fluoride, or sell it to us some way. And gasoline, apparently is actually a really shitty way to run a car when you learn about the way alcohol does it. And it's an idea that's suppressed and they, they act like they don't know about it. Like these companies are on the cutting edge with ethanol and all this stuff. But no, that's been around since our great grandfathers. Like they were, they had that shit. Like it's, uh, it's kind of interesting because there's also another parallel to pivot from that to marijuana. You know, marijuana, the reason it's illegal isn't because they don't want people to consume it. It was because of the textile industry. Um, so again, I think that when you get in the way of these big corporations, they find ways to take away options and only provide you with what they sell. And if that's not ultimate power, I really don't know what is. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, I'm so glad you brought up that fluoride thing uh, with that side of it. I That hadn't occurred to me, actually, because that's one of my problems I've had with the fluoride argument is, well, what's the point of putting it in the water? But now that you word it that way, that, yeah, it's just we're just an efficient means of getting rid of an industrial waste. Yeah. That makes they a could, lot. Yeah. They could give a shit if it's good, bad or indifferent from our health. They just had to sell it as good. Yeah. Because the thing that never the thing that didn't sit well with me and now I, I actually I'm much more of a on the side of non-fluoridation because of that. Seriously, like that's like, mm-hmm. oh, that explains it is the same with chemtrails of no one can ever tell me what they're supposed to be doing with it. Yeah, I guess the big argument there I think that's most uh, valid is weather modification. You can find tons of patents and tons of scientific papers written about weather modification. Even when the Beijing Olympics happened, China said, hey, we're going to seed the clouds to make sure it doesn't rain. The Olympics won't get rained out because we have control of the weather. I mean, this isn't a conspiracy. This is out in the open science. And uh, Gordon White, to bring it back to him, he made a really interesting argument to me talking about California's drought, which is obviously hits home to where I live. I live in the middle of San Diego dry desert right now. Um, He thought that there was a real good case to be made that weather manipulation was being used to keep California in a drought state as as a tool by big agro 
to really choke out the last remaining independent farmers. You have ah. a drought go long enough. The independent farmers, have they go bust. They have to sell you their land and shit cheap, and then you make it rain again. And I thought, brilliant, brilliant. If there's ever a motivation for chemtrails and a tool that they could be used for, I fully believe that is scientifically feasible, and it fits into the narrative that works with uh, you know profits at all costs for these people. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me. The the one that I kept hearing was like you know something about population control or literally making us dumber by breathing in things, and those are the ones that just it just feels like it's too complicated. You know, it could be done easier, but no, that makes complete sense. You know, it, manipulating the drought situation. There was um uh, one of the old uh, he was a just a Roman senator or something like that. This guy, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Riches. Yeah, he was just super rich guy. I can't think of his name. Riches. Caster or something like either way he would uh he basically to get his money he would show up at a fire in rome because they didn't have like a, a a public you know fireman system so he would show up with his fire crews you know shitload of water and be like all right uh if you want to put your house your your fire out uh, and you can get your stuff out of your house safely you're going to sell it to me for you know essentially 10 bucks so mm-hmm. he'd sit there and blackmail the people for their house that's burning down so if they want their precious items they have to sign it over and then he'll he'll you know, put the fire out for you. Damn, and that's, you know, that's kind of what you're describing here. You know, the Rome repeating itself is, yeah, yeah. it's you're, you're choking these people out. And if they want to get even the smallest amount of money off their land is they have to sell it over to, you know, the, the giant, uh, the giant farming companies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's totally what I believe. I mean, I, if there's any agenda, it's just that it's just more, control more power and more profit and uh another and I, I like to think that i can make most you know if you say a conspiracy buzzword i feel like i can take most people and work around it and put it into a context that they could actually be like huh yeah maybe and another key one is vaccines and anyone who's science-based is immediately like rolling their eyes oh my god fucking vaccines again these crazy people but to me it's not about doubting the science of vaccines, that vaccines are a legitimate way to, to prevent disease. I mean, I'm all, all for that and I'll, I'll follow you there. But what the problem is to me is that these vaccines are made by shady, shady corporations. And the CDC has been caught doing some really nasty shit. And Merck Vaccines has had several whistleblowers come out and say that their products aren't safe. So when you're talking about my newborn kid that I'm supposed to be the ultimate protector of, I cannot say that I feel comfortable letting corporations that have definitely done shady things for profits stick a needle in my newborn. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I think there's a real problem there. And again, it, I guess it just comes with the context of capitalism. We have incentives to put profits before actually benefiting people. And until that's changed, until we switch the motivation there. I just don't think that I can legitimately trust someone to do that. I mean, and I don't have kids and it's just really a conceptual thing of kind of a thought exercise what I would do. But I don't know, man, I think I think these are not people that can be trusted to make a quality product. Yeah. And that's that's fine with me. Not not that that's fine. I mean, that that view of anti-vax is fine. I've never had a problem with people going against the grain on certain things like that. But when they say they're like these things directly cause autism or, you know, these these direct corollary, like these are made to do something negative where it's like, no, there's volumes of inarguable science that like 
that's why we don't have polio anymore. Like, this is one of the right. best things humanity's ever come up with. It's fucking amazing. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now that we have a for-profit medical system, yeah, I mean, wh- what would they care if they get, a, you know, a couple drops of mercury in? Like, what do they care if it's, well, you know, unsafe? Exactly. And think about this. Like, the way capitalism works, these corporations have shareholders they're accountable to. They need 10% profits every year. Now, let's say that this all started off with good intentions and there there legitimately are five vaccines that that treat disease and are super necessary uh, to keep them from coming back. And they were giving these out for so long, maybe let's say the 80s, you know, halfway through the 90s. And then Merck vaccine CEO says, you know what, we can just throw in three more, just throw in three more. They're basically nothing. They're just saline solution, but let's throw them in. And then they're selling more vaccines. And now Five years later, they got to make more money. So they're like, you know what? We can we can add a couple more. I think we can slide a couple more in. And maybe they are all nothing, you know, essentially or whatever. But I just don't trust their motivation because ultimately their motivation is not to make my kid healthier. Their motivation is to make money. And I have a real problem with that and trusting someone whose motivation is ultimately just greed. Oh, totally. I was listening to, I forget what show it was, but it was some uh, NPR show and they were interviewing doctors and and people that work at um, health insurance places. And they were talking about the cost of life and how there is, I think they were talking about a cancer medication. That's like just this badass thing, but like it's, you know, I think it was like $25,000 a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it would save X number of lives. And they're going through the math of what they have to do of well, this is how many people we're going to kill by not being able to give them this drug because it costs us much. And it's right there. Yeah. I mean, this is like, there's no conspiracy. This isn't like a bunch of weirdos talking on a podcast. This is proper, like, this is the authority. Like, these are the people we're referencing. And they'll tell you right out, they have to do math based on money to find out who lives. Oh, and yeah. that's fucked. Like, we all knew it happened. But when it's like, no, that's just the way it works. Oof. Another thing people... Uh, could look up is in the 90s, Bayer Corporation found out they had a huge amount of blood, a stockpile of blood that was tainted with HIV. And instead of just throwing it away, instead of just getting rid of it, they wanted to make money still. So they shipped it instead of giving it to Americans, they shipped it to other countries. They shipped it to poor nations. They even shipped it to areas in Europe, which I was a little surprised they would do. I would think they'd at least give it to black people or Chinese, you know, yeah. the way they the way they operate. Um, and that's fucked up. You know, they they made a cost analysis that it was worth it to just sell the tainted blood, because even if they got caught, the lawsuit would probably be cheaper than the loss of the product itself. And that is a real cost analysis that they do. And so, you know, I this is where it gets into the idea of people taking it too far that they, they don't trust science as a whole. But I mean, you think that the, the, the FDA isn't bought, you know, do you think that the CDC wouldn't lie if they did discover that they created something that was, you know, or they let something through, you know, the people want to preserve their own jobs. You think Merck vaccine, if they, if they did determine that they were giving people autism, I think what they would do is, maybe make some quiet changes behind the scene, but I highly doubt they'd ever come publicly out and say, everybody stop. We really fucked up. You know, I think that it would just go under the radar. Yeah. But I don't know. Vaccines is a weird one, but you did mention blackmail. And I, I wanted to say that 
that is another element that I've been getting really interested in is just how easy is it for a power network to develop. And I've been, I interviewed this guy, Nick Bryant, who wrote the Franklin scandal about a child pedophilia network in the eighties. And Oh yeah. Did you watch that documentary? I never saw the documentary funny enough, but I have, yeah, I read yeah. his book, which is, you know, largely about the same thing. Yeah. Conspiracy of silence is the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It was like banned for showing up on discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I just, um, I saw that a while ago and it blew my fucking mind. Yeah. yeah. And long story short with this stuff, this guy, Craig Spence, who was a CIA asset, he, was going to this other guy and getting male prostitutes and so, and having these rage and parties in Washington D.C. He would get these politicians to get in, you know, start banging these male prostitutes, these generally conservative, closeted gay Republicans, and then he'd own them, you know, and then it, then he'd take it to the extreme. He's like, let's get some kids in here because, you know. Maybe this guy gets sick of me having this over his head, but all it is is that he's gay. That's not that bad. But if I can get him with a 12-year-old boy, I got this dude for life. I got every vote he ever makes for life. And think about how quickly a power vacuum can form by having just the right party with the right people there, getting it crazy enough, and then having the whole thing recorded secretly, and then going to all of them later in the week and saying, okay, I own you now. I mean, that is crazy. And, and that power can form so fast. And I think that's a big part of secret societies and these crazy rituals. Well, I think if you have something like Skull and Bones yeah, and you the, bring George Bush in. You jerk off in front of your friends saying <laughs> saying what sexual acts you've done. And that's literally, they admit to that. Skull and Bones, that's one of their things. They lay yeah. in a coffin, jerk off in front of one of their male. Yeah, and that's pretty easy to use blackmail at that point. Yeah, when you're 22 and you're just beaten off with John Kerry and George Bush. It ain't a huge deal. But then when you're 29 or 35 and you're getting a chance to, you know, be a, a governor or a senator, now you know that those people, you can never get out of that. And that is why I think these think tanks really do have super uh, amounts of influence that are, that are completely off the radar and underappreciated by the American people. Yeah, that's it. it to go back to, and this is my, just because I get obsessed with Rome every now and again, Nero did the same thing. When Nero first took power, like, he was, everybody was like, because I forget what his dad's name was, but he was just an absolute asshole. And uh, so everybody's like, oh, Nero's fucking great. Like, we love this guy. And uh, he burns all these uh, records of, um, like, basically wrongdoings that were the guy before him was going to use to have them conscripted. Like, they had to get thrown in the army and go to, like, some shitty part of Rome. So basically this giant blacklist of, like, just horrible things. So he burns it. Everybody's like, yay, Nero. So they get all pissed at him a few years later. Nero goes, oh, yeah, by the way, um, yeah, I still have all those files. We made copies before we burned them. So, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to yell at me anymore. Exact same thing. You know, it's, yeah. I just the parallels between I just because the older stuff is so easy to find, like, you know, the shit from ancient Rome or Greece or whatever. If you just put it in a modern context, you can see those are the same people as we're dealing with now. It's just mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier to kind of contextualize for that day. But all you have to do is instead of it being Nero or Caligula or whatever, it can be George Bush. You know, it's not that much of a deal. Or Jimmy Savile. Exactly. It's, you know. Same playbook. Yeah, it's it's super. So on on that note, for those people, do you, what do you think Bohemian Grove is? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's probably another example of that type of thing, like a strange ritual. I, I really, you know, I really don't know. And the reason why is because I, for the longest time, I was under the impression that they were paying homage to a deity Moloch. And 
now I've heard other people who I trust with their you know symbolism tell me that it's actually uh, Lilith, Lilith from uh, you know Adam, Eve, and Lilith. If you know that whole tale, yeah, um, that's Adam's first wife. That yeah, they were both yeah. created from clay, and then she had opinions, so they kicked her out. And lived, yeah, yeah, but generally supposed to be a real cunt, and that's kind of you know the kind of deity that the globally would worship. Hmm. But uh, I definitely I don't know, but what it does point to to me is that they do value something of a spiritual nature and that's kind of an important key to to have in mind yeah yeah that's actually i mean it is a good point because it's not like yeah it's not like they are just pure capitalist whatever yeah there is a spiritual or you know ritual side to them yeah if if, the, if it was anything because obviously we know so much about it it's such a buzzword because of that one video that shows them dancing around the uh the burning owl statue and in basically Ku Klux Klan outfits is what it looked like to me uh yeah we know about that and we see it and it's really hard to decode what that's all about but uh that is the takeaway for me is that there is a spiritual component that they do value and I I originally wasn't in that box because I grew up Catholic and I so hated it that I guess I just considered all religion to be mind control, and I figured that the global elite know that it's mind control, and that probably at the heart of hearts, they're all just uh, money-hungry atheists who just don't give a shit and consider the whole spiritual thing to be just hogwash. But then you see something like that, and that is key evidence that there's something else. It's not just a whisper or a rumor. I mean, we saw the video, and that's a kind of a big deal. Yeah. That's it's interesting you say that's not Moloch because that was a thing that that I found interesting about that video beyond I mean, beyond the initial shock of like, holy shit, this is legit. Like this is where presidents have been and there's a giant fucking owl statue and they're doing a, a, you know, a ritual uh, uh, simulated sacrifice on camera. Uh, Beyond that, once that goes away, I found it weird because Moloch is like is is uh, from the Hebrew like that's that's like a Jewish uh, uh, demon deity kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I just found it was weird because like. They kind of, I mean, it may just me, but I always felt like the, the the power elite, like on that level, like the president level, none of them are Jewish. Yeah, the Jewish thing is a is a big can of worms. I mean, obviously, when you get down into the conspiracy world, a lot of people have the conclusion that it is the Jews uh, at the heart of everything. And yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a little weird because I don't see that connection always, but. I guess uh, another a lot of people make the argument that originally they obviously created Judaism and then they updated themselves with mind control 2.0, which was Catholicism, because in Judaism is based on your the chosen people, so they don't go out and evan- evangelica, you know, evangelize. They don't go out and recruit, but so they had to update and they updated with Christianity, where they do go out and recruit. You get some water dumped on your head and you can be part of the Good Boys Club. So that way, that kind of mind virus, that mind control could actually spread further. Mm. So I guess some researchers make the argument that anyone who is pushing like a Catholic type of position, which you would say would be a lot of the U.S. presidents, uh, that's really just an updated veil or, you know, a new coat of paint on the same old thing. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. I could see how that would. Or like, yeah. even at the Vatican, the Pope answers to the Black Pope, which is really like the Jewish liaison that runs even the Vatican. I mean, there's that argument. I mean, to play devil's advocate, yeah. this is what somebody would say. I couldn't tell you if any of that is true. Yeah, I 
I, I totally get the devil's advocate side, but that also just seems like someone that doesn't like Jewish people is trying really hard. Because it's like, yeah. no, you have to understand, they used to be Jewish like 2,000 years ago. So now Christians are also Jewish because we don't like them. You know, like there's, you know, if you, if you just go, because the Jewish probably weren't Jewish either. Like if you think about it, they're, why would somebody that, that believes in, you know, that God be the control, you know, like there was probably a controller behind that group as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, whatever that, whatever the actual, you know, the people behind the people are, you know, they were probably manipulating the Jews too, back in the, you know, the wander around the desert days. Oh yeah. And that, that's one argument about, again, the archons that I really do like. I actually interviewed this guy, John Lash, who's a very popular Gnostic scholar, but it got a little bit hairy when it got into Jew territory because he went pretty pretty racy. I, I would say he went w- way into uh, k- kind of a white supremacist territory that was pretty uncomfortable. But a thing that he said that I did like, which would be kind of could be potentially a source for this anti-Semitism, the source for this kind of resentment against uh, a Jewish power center. When you take humanity as a whole, the, fir- the, the number one thing you can do to really set us back would be to, to divide us. Um, you know, our strength is in humanity's numbers, I guess you could say. And once we're divided against ourselves, then you have a dichotomy. You know, you have a, a stressful back and forth. And the first time that, you know, John Lash talks about this happening is this. He talks about the God Yahweh being an actual archon. Just instead of being the creator of life earth, the universe, and everything. He's just a lower-level demon, just one of infinite numbers. And he whispered into some old Jewish ears that they are the chosen people. And so you could say in some type of channeled way, this idea of a chosen people formed, and that could be the original time that a group separated itself, considered itself somehow better than the rest of humanity, and uh, I don't know. I thought it was a kind of an interesting argument because if you're trying to say that the first that the you know to use an, another like you know a term loosely, the first original sin would be to divide humanity. You could say that that was something that they did yeah. by considering themselves themselves chosen. But I don't feel like you can hate them all for for something that have, I would consider that almost to be fooled as well. You know, in the same way that a Christian is fooled to think they're going to heaven because they put out on the collection plate. I mean, to me, it's all just mind control. Yeah. I I listened to that one, which uh, it was John Lash, right? I actually had a note there where the, so that's from the, that's from the Nag Hammadi text, the, the Gnostic texts where all that story came from. And the interpretation, not the interpretation, the, the, uh, the translation I read uh, and the interpretation I read had it a little bit different than what he said was essentially Yahweh is the, Yahweh Dabawath is the phrase they use. And Mm -hmm. he is Sophia, the goddess of wisdom, Yes. wanted to know uh, the power of the source, like the actual guy that created the universe. So essentially she snuck in and either fucked him or stole some of his knowledge. So essentially she fucked her dad and had this incest monster baby, Yadabalath, who shows up on earth and claims to be the actual head God. So he's actually this kind of messed up incest, like, you know, inbred ah, thing. And I he's like the, that actually more. That's he's more the, compelling. Yeah. He's the one that, he's the one that, um, He's the one that tricks uh, the the Jewish people into believing that he's God because he says he's the creator God. But that's yeah. why he's this jealous shithead. Like that's yeah. why it's you shall fear me above other gods and all that all that weird shit and why he keeps killing people. It's because he's like a he's like a nut job. He's a he's exactly. an incest nutty guy claiming to be something that's two levels above him. And they have a whole like kind of order of like 
like on the Sophia level, like they're, I think they actually call them the Archons, or maybe there's another word for it as well. But essentially, they're these kind of like mythical semi-deity types, but it mimics that same story of Sophia, you know, wisdom and wanting more wisdom is a thing that causes our fall or causes us to go south. But either way, it's still, now we have this chosen people. It's just the Gnostics just think that all of that is this bullshit god that got one over on them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is a premise that I really do agree with. And it, when I first heard it, I was like, damn, that just, that resonates so much with me. And it's such, it, you know, I refer to it as the deity flip. You know, they got all these people giving their energy again to what they consider to be this all loving God. But I don't see a lot of examples of that. And I don't see a lot of that energy being used for positive reasons. You know, the Vatican, the, the Pope lives in a gold palace wearing Prada slippers I don't see a lot of mouths getting fed with this money. I mean, obviously, they have to do a little bit. Obviously, it's just like the Masons. You know, the low-level guys have to be out there doing volunteer work and all this shit so that there's a good PR campaign for the, the whole organization. But at the top of either the Masons or the Catholic Church, I see a lot of crime, corruption, and scandals, not a lot of just straight helping people, which is a very easy thing to do if you want to. Yeah, especially when you have that kind of money coming in. it's it does. But also, I got to tell you the truth on this one. It's almost like that thing with the news that people think the world is so shitty because all the news is bad. But if reporting on good stuff is boring. So you're not going to like I for me personally, I've never looked into what good stuff Catholics, the Catholic Church has done. Like I've read all the pedophilia scandals, not all of it, but like <laughs> I'm familiar with that. But like I've never honestly, I've never searched for uh, what Catholic charities do. Like I've never looked for their good side. So. They could be doing awesome stuff for all I know. I've never, you know, just uh, to play devil's advocate for a side that I don't particularly want to, and I feel a little scummy doing it, but <laughs> they could very well be doing awesome things. I have no idea because I, I own, you know, news is the shitty story. You know, like right. you hear about cops shooting unarmed dudes and yeah, we should hear about that. But you don't hear, like you don't have the other nine stories of, you know, uh, cop runs into building, saves lady, cop gives CPR, oh. saves dude. Like, and there's a shitload more of those stories. That's, Not that's say, definitely yeah. kind of true, but at the same time, people don't usually get rewarded for doing their job. You know, you only oh, have enough, to not yeah. do your job once to to get fired. Yeah, and I think cops, kind of the same logic would apply there. But you're right. Well, it's the same as a priest thing. It's like uh, the second. All right, so you get caught kitty fiddling or shooting a black dude. You shouldn't have a job anymore. You shouldn't be right. shipped off to another precinct or another uh, church. You should go. Oh, father, whatever. You you have proven yourself to be a fucking evil thing, and you no longer you like get defrocked or whatever the term is. And then, Mister Policeman, that dude didn't have a gun. Like you didn't yeah. do your job well. Like you shot an unarmed dude. Yeah, I, I I'm, you're bad. It's like, sorry, if I make a mistake at work, I can be fired. Uh, let's <laughs> just keep that shit fair. I totally. I think two things. Well, three things would really help the cop problem. One, of course, the simplest is they need to wear cameras all the time. Oh, totally. Then we know what happened. There is no question of if Mike Brown was aggressive or not. It's on fucking tape. And it really makes me annoyed when cops don't want those things. It's like, well, what are you trying to hide? This is for your benefit. Your life's on the line. And if you're doing your job, this is the only thing backing you up because you might have killed someone who can't tell their side of the story. Yeah, so totally. They should definitely wear cameras. I also think... Uh, Instead of sitting on the side of the highway behind a billboard and trying to catch speeders so you can selectively tax people, I think every policeman should have to spend eight hours of that 40-hour work week in a soup kitchen 
doing some type of volunteer, you need to see the community through a different lens other than authoritarian hall monitor. You need to see some, uh, maybe, you know, because there's an argument that they're always so stressed dealing with the worst elements of our society, so of course they're always trigger happy. Well, why don't we supplement that by not putting them in danger all the time and instead have one day a week where they have a relaxing, do-gooder type of thing that might catch on. It might There might be some reverbial effects by working in the soup kitchen. Maybe you see this poor guy and then two, day, two days later, the same guy you would have harassed and belittled, you actually might have some sympathy for because you fed him a can of soup two days ago. I think that would be super helpful in, in getting rid of that us first them mentality and making them feel like a, more of a part of the community. And um, I would say the third thing, not that I like I think there needs to be less financial incentives applied to everything, but uh, there is an argument people have made that you could make police have to carry insurance the way a doctor carries malpractice insurance. If you kill a bunch of people on the job and you're constantly in court, instead of the city just paying these huge fines and for these lawsuits and these reparations for people who've lost uh, loved ones to cops, it should be you should have insurance premiums. And eventually, if you fuck up enough, you can't afford to be a cop anymore. And if you're a good cop, your premium will go down so far. You'll be financially rewarded. You'll get a bigger paycheck for not killing us. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. The, the only problem is if it goes out of control, which it would, the same way it happened with medicine is that is is doctors can't afford their malpractice insurance. So they have to take meetings with shitty pharmacy companies. Yeah. And then we've got this, this bullshit system we we're talking about before where, you know, it, it's it's medicine for cash and it would be cops for cash that it'd be like that story something about with Rome. I mean, a cop would be standing there watching you get mugged and be like, I don't know, dude, what kind of money you got in your pocket? I could stop that guy. I can't, I can't get involved, man. It's just too risky. So I, I definitely agree with you that that's a great counter, but I think points one and two, would oh, be totally. doing great things for, for the well, cop relation. Well, that community outreach thing, I, somebody had talked about this a long time ago. I was listening to it. Like, this was not that, you know, seven, eight years ago. It was it was some police shooting or police, you know, did something bad. But somebody was talking about how that old style, like, walking the beat cop, you know, Mayberry shit, where you know people's names, you know their face, actually does lower the crime rate because, one, you have cops on the street. And then two, from the cop's perspective, you become accustomed to that neighborhood. So instead of, yeah, as you said, like instead of being hyper aware and always on point, it's like, yeah, you might know that guy as being a bit of a villain and, you know, kind of a shithead, but you know him and he knows you. So it's not this, it's the other in an outfit. It's, well, that's that prick guy I don't like, but still, you know him. So you're far less likely to attack him than a, look, there is a an outfit walking towards me with a gun on its hip, or there is a hoodie walking towards me, you yeah. know, it, it, it turns them into humans instead of, you know, these nameless, you know, faceless creatures that carry guns through your street. Absolutely. And another controversial one that I believe is I think cops should carry non-lethal weapons. I, I don't see a need. I think a cop should be trained enough to take a rubber bullet gun and, subdue someone who is untrained in the ghetto. Um, I don't, I think that's reasonable. I think it's reasonable to think that we should take our police and put, you know, make that police academy 10 times more elite than it is today and get people who are really super efficient in handling these types of situations. And maybe that's a little like, um, maybe I watch too much TV to think that, uh, some like sheriff can just handle every situation with a quicker draw. But 
I don't know. There's an element there that they're just not trained enough. So they get into fight or flight mode way too easily. Uh, they make really rash decisions. They shoot people when they really only have a cell phone because they're just not trained enough in a lot of cases. That makes sense to me as well. I was just talking to my uh, – I don't want to say friend because I have uh, I have issues with cops. But he, he's this guy I know who wants to be a cop and he took the, the cop exam or whatever. And he's been waiting a year for a slot to open. So it's not like they're low on candidates. You could mm-hmm. up the up the you know whatever physical physical fitness test. You could up the how hard the recruitment process is, and yeah, get a better quality of person on the street that yeah is like whatever the Marines do, you know, or whatever. Like those fearless guys. Like yeah, whatever. Make that course because yeah, if 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 you're not so jonesed up on adrenaline and think everything's going to kill you, you're not going to shoot at a cell phone. You're you know yeah. it's and yeah, frankly, I like. The only argument I've ever heard against rubber bullets is, well, rubber bullets kill people sometimes. Well, yeah, yeah but exactly. I, I'm going to assume a fuckload less than, than like metal bullets. So if they yeah. hurt enough to disable you and maybe kill you, it's still better odds than the straight up, you know, metal bullets. Like exactly shoot a guy and- 10 times with rubber bullets. Okay. He'll get really fucked up. Maybe he'll die. But you shoot a guy 10 times with regular bullets. He's definitely going to die. I'll t- mm-hmm. I, I think that's an improvement. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like even if you got a little more hap, a little more like happy with those flashbang grenades, with uh, sonic weapons, anything with the taser. I mean, obviously these things can be abused, but not the way a gun can. You know, yeah. I'd rather just wake up tomorrow. You know, let's say you tase me twenty extra times. That's okay. That's better than twenty extra bullet holes. Yeah, I'd rather like the situation where we can figure it out later is the one I want to go with. So right. you can't unpull the trigger. But exactly. you can, you know, uh, yeah, you broke that dude's ribs with with rubber bullets. That does suck. But, you know, I would like a world where that doesn't need to happen. However, much better than, you know, unarmed kids getting shot for no reason. Exactly. How many countries operate where the police don't carry guns? Plenty of them. And everybody gets along just fine. Yeah, I, that's a weird thing, too. I never quite... Maybe it's just because I, you know, I live here. You know what you're saying it is, before? It's trying hard to, to conceptualize I can't, it. I, I can't get my head around it on a... Like, what do the criminals do? Like, like in like <laughs> in know, England, I like know. what do the criminals do? Like, how do they not just get guns and just run the place? You know, it's weird. It is definitely odd, and I've never lived in a place like that. But I don't know. It works. I mean, a lot of places in Europe they don't carry guns, from what I understand, and I don't see Europe descending into chaos. Yeah, it's so like there's a there's that episode of the the Simpsons, the Trials of Horror, where like th- they wish away all weapons on the planet. And then uh, the Martians take over immediately until they found a long board with a nail in it and just reinvent <laughs> weapons immediately. And that just seems to be like, that's what my head would do of, well, if cops don't have guns, no one else have guns. I'll just get like a, a baseball bat and wrap some barbed wire on it. Like, you know, like I just, I would start, right. not, I mean, not me, but like as a, as a villain, you just would get that or just find some fucking guns. Cause now cops don't have them. Well, that's another argument for kind of the point that I made earlier that, People ultimately aren't doing anything super violent, super wrong. Of course, it only takes one person out of a thousand to really wreak havoc. You know, obviously one person going through a neighborhood and shooting everybody up one time in 10 years would be enough to create some serious trauma and some serious paranoia. But often that's so rare. You know, that is so fucking rare. And I think that's kind of an important point here is like, you know, we think, well, how, why don't all the criminals take over? Because we're kind of predisposed to think that everybody is just itching to stab everybody else in the back and get ahead. And 
I don't know. I think that's kind of a, a paranoia that doesn't really have a super strong basis. Well, I found in, in my life, and this is, you know, you can't, you can't judge the world by one person's opinion, but I have noticed that, like, I don't look for fights. I'm not, a, like, a violent person. Like, I don't want to get in a fight. I And I put out that energy. I, that sounds hippie, but I mean, <laughs> I approach the world as if no one's going to punch me and I'm not going to punch anybody. And I never find myself in situations where I'm getting punched or punching someone. Right. And I know a lot of people have got that kind of, like, aggro... Like, not that they're trying to start a fight, but they've got that energy to them. And they seem to be ones that, oh, lo and behold, they're the ones getting into fights. They're the mm-hmm. ones finding themselves in that situation. And that's that weird, that's that energy thing of, you know, maybe we are kind of putting out this vibe into the universe, you know, as Americans. And maybe those countries that don't have it have that other thing, have that, like, just that we, we don't have the don't shoot me vibe because yeah. there's no, gu- you know. I, I mean, believe me, dude, I'm a, a skinny, weak nerd, but I really wish we could hit people. I wish that uh, – and, and I'm a, I know that you can kill someone really easily on an accident with your fists or with them getting knocked out and their head hitting the ground below. I mean, yeah, you can really do some fucking damage. But I think that our society, a lot of douchebags get away with being douchebags because they know that they're not going to get hit. And I think that there is a place – and a time for knocking someone out if they're being an asshole. And I, I don't know. I would like to see, uh, I guess, an increase in non-lethal uh, putting people in their place. Yeah, you know, I don't want to participate in that, but I kind of agree oh, with either. you in the, like, 1970s America seemed like it worked a little bit better that way. Like, and and, and, I, and I mean this as a white dude, like... I'm not without race getting there because I'm not like, holy crap, did everybody that's not white get shit on? But like right. in just a white guy at a bar way, it seems like you just punched each other for a bit and then you went home. Like yeah. there wasn't like there wasn't a lot of, you know, I don't I don't read a lot of stories of, of shoot ups or stabbings or it seemed to be like it was more like I hear stories of like, you know, the, my my Irish friends talking about their uncles at a uh, at a wedding. You know, they just have a punch up and then it's. They sleep mm-hmm. it off or they go to the drunk tank and it's fine the next day. And as much as I, I don't like this idea, like of, of people punching each other, I think that there is a release valve there where it is, there is a certain amount of healthiness of, of, you know, punching some jerk in the face. Like, I think they're actually, there, there does like on a, on our monkey level, I think that actually might be healthy instead Amen. of the first, the first notion is shoot a guy, in, which is the world now. Like if it comes to violence, it's death. Instead yeah. of you just you just punch some jerk in the face like and it's not I mean, it's a big deal. You shouldn't do it. But if you're going to get there, yeah, just that's that's what it should be. That's like the rubber bullet mm-hmm. of, you know, <laughs> and that stuff boils up and then it turns into a stabbing or a shooting or because yeah. you think you can't hit somebody. Or if somebody starts getting into a fight, they might escalate it because they're like, well, I've, I'm already going to jail. Yeah. You know, I think there's there's that element, too. But I honestly I was. A bit of a bully in high school because I got by, you know, obviously you can be popular because you're good at sports or you're, uh, you know, an academic or just really suave. But I got by on being funny. And a lot of times that meant there had to be a butt of a joke. So I was not nice to a lot of people. I was an only child. And I think psychedelics and just growing up and reflecting has done a lot to change me. But there's a lot of people who don't ever grow out of being a douchebag. And if I would have got hit in high school a couple of good times, I would have straightened up because I, I wouldn't have been mouthing off. I just I didn't feel like there were, especially in the people that I would mouth off to, a lot of people that were a physical threat. But I think that 
if, if somebody's not going to do psychedelics or not going to do a lot of inner reflection, sometimes the catalyst can be just a good fucking punch in the jaw. Oh, totally. And I, you know, I was that same. I was a prick for most of my life until really uh, that surprises a, a me, man. Psychedelic experience changed me. Yeah, I, I, had, uh, I had an ego like a motherfucker for a long time. I really, yeah, it was, it was. I mean, I it wasn't, you know, I wasn't killing anybody. I wasn't Hitler or anything. I just, you know, I, I kind of smart and can make people laugh. So I would pick people out and, you know, kind of take them down a notch for no good reason. Yeah. And now it's fruit. Yeah, it was it was psychedelics that that changed it for me. For me, it was I had a really bad mushroom trip. Like I had one of those like dying on mushrooms moments. And it just, oh. you know, it it smacked my ego back into place. You know, it's like, look, dude, a handful of dried things just put you on your ass. You know, that'll, you know, it, it puts you into place True. in the universe in a certain it's a, way. It's a, it's a it's a certain kind of ass kicking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was right. true. Yeah, actually, yeah, put it that way. That's the that's the drunken punch up that I needed to kind of be like, oh, yeah, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, man, uh, that that's a great analogy. There's a serious parallel there. And uh, I think, I, you know, I interviewed Duncan Trussell, who's a comedian uh, oh, yeah, quite, quite yeah. a while ago. Oh, yeah, he's he's great. And we've talked a lot about a, a lot about, you know, failure building character and just difficulties in life being the things that build your character versus seeing these trust fund kids who've never had a problem. And they just there's a there's an archetype there that they all seem to fit into of being a little bit douchey and not caring about anybody. And I think that failure and struggle really does do a lot to humble someone. And it you can't you can't always like there's no way to guarantee everyone has that phase in life, but by making psychedelics legal, you'd get us a lot closer. Yeah, it certainly gets more. Yeah, it gives you the opportunity more because I know in my adult life, like I would like to do psychedelics again, but I still have this like kind of resonant like fear in me from that from having that like horrible trip that I would like to do it in a therapy session, like to like literally with a therapist sit down and do uh, do acid or do mushrooms because it's supposed to be amazingly helpful and have that calm voice and have like a, a, a nice setting that's safe. That sounds fantastic. Like, oh, I want to do that. But, you know that's not available in this country. Like, I mean, right. I, I could probably find it in some weird way, but for the most part, it's not like I can, like my health insurance certainly doesn't offer, you know, uh, acid session on it. <laughs> Amen, man. And I am kind of at the point where I'm over psychedelics, I guess, because my, I, I just, you know, not to sound arrogant, but everything in my life right now is going super well. And I don't feel like there's much to be, gained oh man i sound so egotistical no, saying no, i can't learn anything from the mushroom but you're not um, at a place right now that's no that's totally that's yeah. not egotistical that's that's self-aware you yeah i just don't yeah. need to learn a lesson right now i don't think but i mean by god both mushroom i because two of the most important things in a person's life are their partner that they're going to spend it with and the career they're going to have because that takes up a shitload of your time and determines the kind of uh quality of life you're going to have and both of those things in my life would not be where they are if it weren't for uh, the relationship ecstasy and the career mushrooms. And I can fully say that those two catalysts have changed my life in such an amazing way because I couldn't imagine being with anyone else than the girl that I'm with. And I don't think that we would have ever seriously broached the the friendship barrier if we hadn't take an ecstasy and of course neither one of us like to admit that because we don't want to think our our uh 
whole relationship is based off of a chemically induced lowering of the of the boundaries. But, you know, it, it was whatever. I don't have yeah. a problem saying it. I think it's a positive thing. And with mushrooms, I uh, was doing mushrooms with some comedians, some some pretty prominent comedians. And I guess I had a feeling of like the mushroom just started telling me, like, what are you doing here? Are you trying to suck up to some comedians? Are you trying to get some of their success to rub off on you? Like, you're so fucking pathetic, man. This is stupid. You don't fit in here. You're such a poser. And that's like what the mushroom was saying to me. And I agreed with it. I was like, you know, you're right. And that is when the Higher Side Chats became a conspiracy show rather than a comedy show because uh, I just I wanted to do something different. And I was like, the mushroom kind of told me, dude, you're going about this the wrong way. You want to be cool. You want to be funny. But you really should be going at it this other way. There's a there's a, a void here in the conspiracy world. And you know it. And you could mushroom told me that and that has worked wonders for my life so in both cases uh very important tools yeah oh totally no they can be too like even even uh ecstasy it's funny you say that like that was the one uh uh kind of early in my trying to get my head on straight and understand the world was i was my eyes literally doing the rolling back in your head for mdma and i was like oh this is joy and it was like this kind of spiritual thing of like oh i get something now like not that i could word it but coming out of that, it made me kind of have this appreciation of, of, I don't know, just appreciation of joy on a, on a, on a much larger level. And, and it's yeah. lasted, you know, this is, that was probably 15, 20 years ago. It's still in my head of like, oh, well, that's something that exists in the universe. And that's like a, that's a very powerful thing. And we're, you know, kind of lucky to be in, you know, these meat sacks experience it. And that really, that, that stuck with me for a long time. And that was just, we were driving back from a diner in the back of some dude's car, you know, it was just <laughs> one of those random things, but yeah, those, they could be teachers and it's bullshit. They're illegal. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, MDMA. The, the one thing I love about that is they're talking about using it to treat uh, PTSD. And that makes so much sense because it is like a chemically in induced joy. It's like you have a, a light switch of happiness and ecstasy, you know, pun intended, yeah. I guess, <laughs> in your body. And it just switches it on. And there is a lot of people out there, a lot of scientific guys talking about the way we interpret memories in our emotional states. Like um, if you are in a safe place remembering a dangerous, you know, life-threatening time of trauma, it you actually remember it differently. It actually changes the memory and the way it affects you because you are remembering it from a safe place. And ecstasy being a joy button i mean yeah let's press the joy button and talk about shooting kids in afghanistan you know let's get over that yeah and it works it really fucking i i mean i'm not that i experienced it firsthand but i see why it would work i have enough experience with ecstasy to understand why it would be used like that and more power to it but when it first when it was first made or maybe not when it was first made but it was legal it used to be in therapy sessions marriage yeah. counseling and the stories i've read about it was like seriously like a year of marriage counseling could be done in one session of just two people take mdma and talk to each other about their feelings and you know these are people that were in love and their marriage is a little rocky and it's like literally like a year of sessions can be compressed into one because you're just this open conduit to each other that yeah. that sounds fantastic I've read about the downsides to it and they're all downsides for the drug for like the party version of like this kind of nasty synthesized one like straight MDMA yeah. apparently it's if you use it sparingly there's very little downside oh yeah so I mean, you know. I, I've used 
I've never really tested my ecstasy and that is bad. That is stupid. Um, and I've had some ecstasy. Uh, my, my most recent experience was actually really kind of scary. And I would, I would chalk it up to just being dumb and not testing it. So I always, always recommend people do test. I guess I just figured, and this is another problem when authority figures lie, because I went to a conservative private high school and they had a drug class. And in that drug class, I was made to fear marijuana because of the dangers of it being laced. Oh my God, you know, because they can't tell me marijuana is dangerous. So they tell me, well, you never know what you're getting and it's probably laced with cocaine or heroin. Now, as an, as an adult who smokes weed every day, that idea is so fucking foreign that I'm going to be buying, somebody's going to sell me weed that's laced with heroin. I don't know. I hate that shit. But because of that propaganda, I, I, I haven't tested my ecstasy, which is an actual concern. You know, that is a real danger. But I kind of poo-pooed the idea because I'd been lied to about that before. So definitely test it. But. Oh, yeah. Well, ecstasy, the thing is you can you can make it cheaper by mixing in other components. It's, right. I mean, pot would be more expensive if you put yeah, heroin exactly. on it. Like, you know, ecstasy, if you get some, it's the same as Coke. Like they, they call it stepping on, you know, they put a little aspirin in there, a little baby laxative and, you know, yeah. they get, they get to sell twice as much for, you know, uh, twice the profit for the same amount of actual Coke. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, kids out there, when you're listening, uh, uh, test your MDMA. I don't know how yeah. you do that, but make sure to test oh, it. Oh, you can buy a kit on Amazon for very cheap, about twenty bucks. Oh, really? Uh, from what I from what I understand at this point, I had a friend told me how 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 dumb I really am by just doing a simple Google search. But yeah, you can buy test kits for that shit pretty easily. Definitely do it, but don't don't shy away from having an experience. And I think. The fact that it's been used as marriage counseling, God, that makes so much sense. I've only really done ecstasy with the particular partner that I'm with now, and it's amazing. It's it's great. Yeah, definitely sitting down with someone and having a really in-depth conversation. Yeah, you get really, really deep, and I think that the bonds you make in that are are really deeper than I I, I would have expected. And uh, it's kind of sad to see people just use it as a rave thing because – Obviously, bright lights and loud music is the most kind of shallow uh, form of, of what it could be good for. And you're really selling yourself short by not getting on that deeper level with someone. Oh, totally. And that's, you know, using it at raves or whatever, that goes to the LSD thing where a lot of people blame Tim Leary for LSD being illegal because it was laboratory settings. This was this was something that was going to be used therapeutically. And then this jerk starts screaming about turn, you know, uh, drop out, turn off, whatever that shit is. And, you know, mm. freak people out and, you know, buck the norm. And it went illegal for 30, 40 years or whatever it's been at this point where, you know, if they, if that had just stayed in the laboratory, which I have no idea why I just pronounced that like an Englishman. Um, <laughs> if it just stayed in the laboratory, it probably would still be legal to this day, you know, in, in medical settings. So, right. you know, the, the club kids ruin MDMA and, you know, the, you know, well, Tim Leary ruins acid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's a brilliant guy, whatever. I don't, you know, don't mean to directly blame him. It's just something I've heard before that. Right. Because I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but there's an argument to be made there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like he knew. But uh, all right, so we, we're getting towards the end here. Um, I want to ask you some quick things. What do you think, this is the one I've been kind of talking to people about recently, of all the weird shit, and not necessarily like the global lead or ever, but of the weird stuff, is there anything that you kind of think is like probably true? Like um, like for me, like I, like I kind of believe in Bigfoot. Like I, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I'm almost there to the point that I can't really prove it but i feel like i believe in bigfoot like what do you, do you have one of those um 
Well, one that I think is is kind of fun that I like is the idea that we are manipulated by a non-human presence that I guess good examples of it would be, you know, they used to talk about Hitler being a uh, or having a guy that he would meet with called the Tibetan, you know, again, oh, yeah, also yeah. Napoleon. Uh, they talk about him having meetings with something. Uh, also, you know, people say that Eisenhower met with Greys, but that to me is just another cult. Greys are a cultural layer for that same type of uh, contact. And I think that there's a case to be made that there has been instances of really powerful people being influenced by something multidimensional or unhuman. And in a lot of ways, they've changed the course of history uh, with some of that stuff. And I don't know. I like the idea that with a few calculated contacts, you could uh, control the surface world or control the, the material world and that they do that maybe just out of boredom. But Bigfoot, I, I, to me, Bigfoot is such a, I don't know. I'm just, I never have been intrigued by Bigfoot. I love cryptozoology and I, I got, when I was really young, I loved Nessie. That was probably one of my first ones that I really was into. But Bigfoot always just seemed like feasible to me, I guess. It seemed feasible and it doesn't seem very exciting. But it is odd that it's never been captured on film uh, in a reasonable way, especially these days. But at the same time, people have made arguments to me like, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? We see adult pigeons everywhere, but have you ever seen a baby one? Clearly they exist, but... I can't recall seeing one or... Uh, you know, that's crazy. Someone just said that to me the other day. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, you're right. I've never seen a baby pigeon before. Yeah, yeah. So there are all kinds of things um, that have been captured just recently on camera for the first time. Uh, pretty common things. Like, let's say just the uh, some type of behavior that uh, a common animal does. They say, oh, we've captured it for the first time. Okay, well, we see bears all the time. This is the first time you've seen it do X, Y, or Z. I mean, it doesn't shock me that there could be something out there, especially if it exhibits some type of intelligence or yeah. some multidimensional properties of itself of its own. Yeah, they found I that. It, um, uh, I think it was an orangutan that just recently they saw it spear fishing. Yeah, now, we've that's known a about great, yeah, a great we've known about orangutans for you know I have no idea a, a really long time, and just recently we find out that's like that in um, the uh, I, I watched a special about the ropin. Like the kind of, I guess it's like an existent, like pterodactyl kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, this island in, I don't know, like Indonesia area. And the people there are like, oh yeah, that's just like a thing. We see it all the time. And they were so casual about it. And like all the encounter reports, I'm like, fuck, I think I might actually believe in that one. Like, cause it's just mm-hmm. the people there were just so convinced. They're like, no, it's not like a mythical creature. It's just, you know, it's, it's like a bird. It's, we see it all the time. That thing it's yeah. huge over that way. Well, <laughs> something that Joe Rogan points out, one of his bullet points for, saying that Bigfoot could be real is the gorilla wasn't discovered until 1902. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ, we think we take that for granted today, but a little over a hundred years ago, we really categorized the gorilla as a real thing. Who's to say one other great ape couldn't have eluded us for just a hundred years. I mean, that's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. There's one in uh, Sumatra called the Orang Pendek. Uh, I don't know if you uh, run into that, no, not run into the actual thing, but, um, there's a bunch of dudes looking for it and they, they're like pretty sure it exists. It's just one of those things. It's like, it's like when they started to think the gorilla was actually a real thing and they eventually found one, like they feel like they might find one, you know, like next week. Like it's, 
it's right there. And that's like another, like, it's supposed to be like a, you know, six foot tall kind of monkey like thing, mm-hmm. which I'd be excited to find in my lifetime. Well, not me, but yeah. I'd be excited if it was found during our lifetime. Amen, man. Oh, and another thing I just thought of, um, the, the kind of, uh, half stitched together idea I said about non-human entities manipulating the surface world. Another great example of that would be, uh, or could be Charlemagne, you know, having this vision of this vision on the battlefield and then converting to Christianity. I mean, I mean, Constantine or yeah, I'm sorry, Constantine. Yeah. If you're, if you're Catholic, you just take that story as, yeah, of course he saw crosses in the sky. But if you're, if you're normal, you're like, what was that? That was clearly some type of hidden hand influencing him and changing the course of history with, I mean, that could have been just a, some bored demon. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you're right. Yeah. Just messing with people, just seeing what happens. Yeah. There was a, there was a sci-fi story right years ago. I don't remember who wrote it, but uh, it was basically like two aliens hanging out above a planet and they were like, all right, it's your move. And they just like, you know, um, they shoot, uh, they shoot Archduke Ferdinand and then watch what happens. All right, it's your move. And essentially they're playing like planet chess. So they're just, you know, going through and just making little moves and just watching what happens and, you know, just manipulating the scenes. And literally it's just chess. Like they're just trying to make the white pieces win or whatever. And that's, you know. And yeah. I, I in, in this case, I actually mean the white pieces because it seems to be that's the big conspiracy. Forget about the Jews. It's white people are the evil ones. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> and, I mean, also, you could talk about the uh, the grays being just a cultural overlay for elves and gnomes and, and all this folklore of these beings that would come out and try to steal kids. You know, there's a lot of fairy tales and stuff that could be based on nothing. But you could also say that. A lot of the parallels in those stories, the motivations of these otherworldly creatures are very in line with the greys. You know, genetic manipulation, uh, you know, stealing kids or taking people like um, I think the greys could just be a more modern kind of, you know, the way our society changed. It's like a a scientific version of that instead of a fantasy version. It's a sci fi version, but it's kind of the same thing, a non-human entity kind of doing its way with us in the shadows. I don't know. That's super intriguing to me. Well, yeah, the, the, all the Fey legends, yeah, they're the same thing. Like, you know, you show up, you eat a bit of their food, and you get, like, transported somewhere, and they do experiments on you, and there's a bunch of that. So that was the thing that I, because I, I, I hear you bring it up a lot, so I think you're as intrigued as I am with the with the hollow earth. Yes. Um, like, I've literally, like, I've tried to find where that entrance is on Mount Shasta. I was trying to plan a trip there. Like, I, <laughs> I want to, like, that I wanted so bad, but I was thinking on the kind of fun, just, you know, like get high and talk about stuff level is that's like the thing. So all the Fae legends, aliens, you know, demons, all the stuff that we're misinterpreting is literally just this other species of us that's been underground for that long. Yeah. that Honestly, that is probably the furthest out thing that I consider to be within the realm of possibility is the hollow earth. And there's a lot of people who consider the hollow earth and the flat earth to be as equally stupid. And I get that. I do understand what you're saying. Um, another problem with the hollow earth is that most of the people who believe that make the case that there's a giant opening at the North and South pole. And you'd have to say, well, that's a big secret to keep. And it is a big secret to keep, but how many people do you know have gone to the North or South pole? Because the way I see those areas is they're pretty much under military control. And the the South pole you can go to. Well, you can. Did they have uh, that? I forget what it's called. Project whatever. Like 
every year they send people down. Then you can like go and study. You can Skype with them and shit. That's Actually, true. that'd be cool. That's you should, true. You could probably get one on the show. That'd be kind of badass. Well, <laughs> I have seen the expeditions down there, and I or, like cruises down there. And I thought it was, it was interesting, but yeah. you could still say that. You know, a hundred miles west oh, totally. could be yeah. a hole to the inner earth that they just don't take people near. Yeah. Um, again, it is a big secret to keep, and it becomes a problem in modern times with modern technology to hide that. It becomes further and further uh, from it's something you could take seriously. But there are a lot of interesting accounts from early explorers in the 1700s who described real anomalous things with their ships around the poles when they were trying to trying to go that way because the argument is that there's a basin at the top and then inside the basin is uh kind of like a sink with a drain the drain being the hole but the argument would be that it it kind of curves inward and there were some ships who reported like speeds that they shouldn't have been able to achieve because they're kind of on a downward slope it's very strange very strange but uh, the Smoky God is Olaf Jansen's account, which is great. Of course, there's Admiral Byrd's account. Um, I don't know. I think some of them are compelling, and I I have a hard time arguing it without admitting I sound silly. But yeah, I that's that's my holy grail that I, I mean, want to be true. For for me, I, I the Hollow Earth is just I, I the one that I that's probably the one I want to be true as well out of all of them. Maybe, I mean, but, there, like, maybe there's some other ones, but like that's up there on my list. But I never think of it as like a hollow earth. I think of it as there's just huge caverns. Yes. Because yes. I think you have an actual hollow earth. I think there's enough proper science that says that's not a that can't be a thing. And well, I'm fine with just a big cavern because that's 100 percent possible. It serves all the needs of the story. And we don't have to turn around all of physics. Like it's Agreed. just, yeah. <laughs> Which there's, I just there's like. There's actually a layer. I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, but I interviewed Michael Mott uh, largely about what we're talking about. And, and there is a layer between the crust and mantle that is like a spongy type of composition that has large caverns in it. And yeah, you don't need a hollow center to believe that there could be caverns large enough to hold populations that might have gone underground during a cataclysm and then just stayed. Yeah. Um, like the Atlantis you, thing is in my head, it's 12,000 something years ago Earth starts getting wonked out because of the ice age. You know, that's when the whole Atlantis myth, that's where the yeah. far end of Egypt and all that stuff happens is it just seems to me that there was either two concurrent civilizations or the more advanced one saw some shit was going down and just, popped underground and just hung out there and so mm-hmm. they've been on a technological level been progressing since what um 14,000 years ago or whatever so like they could be like super advanced to us and they're just right there you know right well what if you know the argument Michael Mott made is the only reason we think the grays are from space is because they told us that but they're doing genetic manipulations on us so yeah if they were really based from the inner earth they wouldn't tell us that. And also, why would beings from Zeta Reticuli need to fuck with our genetics? That's, wouldn't they have that on lock? I loved his point. Yeah, I remember that. Now I'm remembering the guy you had on. I love yeah. that point. Yeah, because if if they're, well, one, if they're from Zeta Reticuli, why would their genetics be anything like ours that would be useful? Right. But why having, would it, A, yeah. be compatible, and then B, from a technological standpoint, they should be that advanced in their medicine? Yeah. And yeah, but the guys that are directly under us that have basically going to have the worst case of vitamin D deficiency ever. I could see them needing some of our blood to, you know, get their, get their shit going back up again, you know, cause they've yeah. been in this weird underground 
you know, whatever civilization they've been living in. And they, it's, they kind of evolved that quickly. So they're just going right. to be these messed up, you know, like they probably have to take vitamin supplements and shit. Their genetic code's probably deteriorating and they pop up here, you know, suck the blood out of some kids and pop back downstairs. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Greg, I think that's the better time, but I think we've proved Dracula right there that he is a <laughs> subterranean um, inner earth dweller. Twilight's a documentary. I've been saying it for a while now. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I always thought so because the science of them turning into somehow rocks that are shiny, um, <laughs> that I always thought of like, wow, that's the most scientific thing for a vampire I've ever heard. Absolutely. I never, I haven't really delved into those before, but someone, someone told me that, that, that they're made of really hard rock slash diamonds and they're held together by like uh, bile or something like that or snake <laughs> venom or some, some weird shit. I was like, it, really? That's... That's what all the little girls are going nuts about. All right. Cool. Yeah. All I really know is that they apparently shine because enough comedians have made the, that joke. But oh yeah. yeah. Well, that's... I do. I will. I will say. Uh, you know. I mean, we're wrapping up. But oh, one thing that's interesting to me about the whole all of vampire culture is kind of, and especially Twilight's incarnation of it, is that it's um, almost teaches girls to appreciate spousal abuse. Yeah. You know, you want a guy that's dangerous, that could kill you at any moment, that feeds off you. That's something that's sexy, not something to be avoided. Yeah, you're right. No, there is a, there is an underlying kind of uh, uh, patriarchy there of like, oh, that's what I should worship. This violent man that'll take my blood. Like, yeah, there is a there is a I mean, I guess where it comes from, like the sexy version is that Victorian age style where it's very much that is, you know, the women yeah. were the the underclass. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, not that we have no time for this topic, but if you ever find anybody, I, this is something I've been trying to figure out for a while. And I think conspiracy theory wise, there's got to be conspiracy theory. Why have women always been the kind of the downtrodden one of the species? Yeah, that's weird I, to me that just at some point we didn't have like a like an actual Amazonian thing, because I think there's I think those are fictional. Oh, those the Amazonian tribes. Uh, like the of women, yeah, like the Wonder Woman style ones. Yeah. Like, not actually. I Wonder actually Woman. had a guest who made some pretty interesting points about that not being fake. Uh, that they're they're islands of these Amazonian women found little groups, little pockets of men that they would uh, come and breed with once a year or something, or once every five years. I don't know, far out, and I don't know that much about it. But it is interesting that it has been a male dominated culture basically as far back as we know, and I think. Actually, when you look at a lot of, I guess, older stuff, and you would probably be more knowledgeable than I, but when you find old cultures that did have respect for the woman, um, you know, mystic traditions and whatnot, uh, maybe Gnostics to some extent, they seem to be, yeah, it's, it's sad that they got stomped out, but I guess if you're going to worship women or, or hold that in high regard, you're going to be more passive, which kind of lends to being crushed over time. I guess, yeah, that's the, so there's just a, <laughs> Yeah, I, it's one of these things that, like, I want to find – I'm sure there's a good book about it or there's – that's more why I brought up with you. Like, you know, find somebody to talk to about it because I yeah. swear there's got to be a really juicy conspiracy. And if there isn't, we should make one up because <laughs> I feel like – I mean, if we're worried about the, you know, the elite ruling us, think about the elite – like, the penis holders have been ruling this thing since since Jump Street. Since That's true. Basically, once we invented cities, like, guys took over. So – it's kind yep. of interesting. Oh, you know, the technological there's a lot of obelisks the out there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we <laughs> we in, we implied the cock onto the universe. Well, they say that uh, you know that's that's what happened is you know we squared the circle was you know we made the forty five degree angle and that took away the feminine you know. 
Yeah. Which is, and I love, I love the symbolism of all that stuff. Um, or the, you know, the, it's kind of like a, a metaphysical explanation for, or I don't know, a metaphysical thing that has real world implications. I don't know. I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, did you see that? I swear this is the last point. Did you see that they chose earth's flag and it's the flower of life? I did have somebody as people fire a lot of stuff off at me. Uh, and I did see that. I didn't know how, uh, valid that was but i thought that was pretty pretty awesome yeah it's just weird because that's like that's the, like the one of the foundation symbols of sacred geometry and it's like yeah that's kind of cool and you mm-hmm. know again h- hidden in plain sight kind of stuff i'm like all right as a as a weirdo kind of dabbler in sacred geometry i think that's badass <laughs> <laughs> just like the un flag is the true model of the flat earth yeah, well, I mean that one's probably true. Now that I think, I think I've been convinced over the course of this two hours that I'm now going to. Well, once you the see the UN flag, it just all makes sense. Yeah, it's clearly flat. Yeah, I I think my main problem with uh, most conspiracy theories is I don't know a lot of people that are good at keeping secrets. So anything of that scale, I feel like we would have heard of. That's you know, true. If, like there's a certain amount of like I'm not saying we would know it for sure. It wouldn't be taught in schools, but. If there's that many people, fa- that's like my main argument against us not landing on the moon is like, I think we landed on the moon because somebody would have talked like Russia would have said something like somebody would have talked. You know, there's we suck at secrets. So th- th- I think faking that would be more difficult than actually just landing on the fucking thing. I agree with you to some extent, but I also think it it's possibly naive to assume that a secret couldn't be kept. I mean, I don't know, but, um, you know, I, sometimes I don't chalk it all up to that necessarily in the moon landing. The one thing I have a problem with, man, is that just a few years ago, the power went out at the Super Bowl. I mean, we just developed the internet a <laughs> yeah. few, not long ago. You're telling me the one time you ever tried to get to the moon, I, I understand you can land on it, but you took back off. You took off from the moon in that foreign environment the one time you ever tried, and you broadcasted the whole thing. You streamed the whole thing from the fucking moon. Yeah, that's true. There is a there is a certain, but I I actually kind of attribute that to just like American just bravado of that era, you know. It's just yeah, fuck it. Let's drop ourselves a rocket and see what happens. Yeah, I think Stanley Kubrick helped them fake the moon landing. Look, you have no idea how. Talk about the things I want to be true. I love Kubrick <laughs> as a filmmaker. There's nothing would make me happy. Like I don't want the moon landing conspiracy to be true unless Stanley Kubrick did it, because there's nothing makes me happier than that. Uh, what was it? the room two, whatever that documentary that yeah, talked with all the crazy people or something. Yeah. They, they talk about uh, all the people that like think that Stanley Kubrick hid all the clues and the shot. Oh, I love that. Yeah. One of them is Jay Widener who actually has, uh, I, I would say a better documentary out there. Uh, it's a two parter called Kubrick's odyssey. And that's the case he makes that, uh, after, after 2001, these people saw what he could do with special effects and they considered him the only one, who would be qualified to do it. And then he makes the argument that the subtext, the symbolism of the shining is in some way him trying to reveal that, that, that he, that he took part in that conspiracy. And then ultimately his movie eyes wide shut is about the things he saw once he was truly invited into the realm of masquerade orgies and Illuminati blood sacrifice. Like, uh, it's interesting because Kubrick died. He was well. I would say it's convenient that he that he died before that movie actually came out. And there's a lot of people who suggest that he revealed too much, and so they just said you're fucking done. But I don't know. I think you can weave a pretty compelling narrative through his career that 
he, even in Clockwork Orange, was revealing some pretty intense stuff that could be considered Shadow State programs. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy reading about all of that. Like the the Clockwork Orange that main the main poster because it's the all seeing eye around the mm-hmm. A in a Clockwork Orange and Alex's eye, and it's like, yeah, that is it's right there. But then again, it's well, you know, Jay Z's an Illuminati because he holds his hands like that. Like, so there's I don't know, I find all this stuff yeah. absolutely fascinating. It's super fun. But there's Amen. when it gets to that level of weird where it's like. I, that's where I, I I both love it the most and can't really take it all that seriously, where it's like, this could be 100% true, but there's no way to prove it unless you can resurrect, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick, which I guess right. that's what those Toyn B tiles are about. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Greg, they can find you on Twitter. Uh, what? At Higher Side Chats? At Higher Side Chats. The show is called The Higher Side Chats, and the website is thehiresidechats.com. You can search for it on YouTube if you want to watch it in that form. Of course, it's on Stitcher and pretty much anywhere you're going to find podcasts. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So every available way to listen to stuff, uh, the Higher Side Chats is there. It is, you know, well, you're a professional outfit. And we are all proud of you out here in amateur podcast world that uh, one of us made it. Oh, no. I'm st- I still consider myself an amateur. I consider myself maybe, if I was going to be ultimately egotistical, the world's tallest midget of podcasting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're semi pro. <laughs> you're. Uh, you, you could be like a demiurge from the from the Gnostics. You'll be. Ooh, I like yeah, that. <laughs> that's uh, Greg, Greg Carlson, the Yaldabaoth of podcasting. <laughs> I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, and people are going to scream at me. But I also forgot the name of the Roman guy. So you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. What? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I have, I remember enough stuff. Calm down, guys. The amount of shit right. I just came out with off the top of my head. Let's let me forget a couple Roman rulers. <laughs> I said Charlemagne instead of Constantine, but we're bullshitting. Well, here's the thing. The Constantine thing is super interesting, too, because there's a theory that that guy never existed, that that's just a myth. Yeah. Yeah, it's which is, you know, I don't know enough about that one, but it sounds super interesting. Apparently, that's part of that phantom time hypothesis. He never existed. There's like 300 years that they made up. There's, there's another thing about uh, Shakespeare never existing and actually being Sir Francis Bacon, who is, of course, uh, he has all kinds of conspiratorial ties. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the, you'd have to Google it to get to get it right. Oh no, I'm I'm like familiar with this one. That's and the secrets the are buried Psalms at thing. Yeah, well, the, the, secret, the secrets are buried at Oak Island in in Nova Scotia. Have you ever saw that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But have you seen the, this thing? I've actually done it and it works. But to to get the actual details right, you'd have to Google it. But it's something like if you look at in the Bible at Psalms 33 of the King James Bible, which apparently he might have had a, a hand in translating. You go to like Psalm 33 and you look at the 33rd word. It's shake. And you look at the 33rd word from the back and it's spear. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Kind of compelling because that's obviously a number that they value and they like to code their little shit. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of fun. I guess it does. I mean, what difference does it make? A guy who made plays was actually Sir Francis Bacon. Big deal. You got me. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it comes down to there's a guy we call Shakespeare that wrote those plays. So it's right. that's all that really matters. There's another thing with his name quickly, just coming from the background I do. I actually got a degree in poetry, dumbly enough. But um, William William is the name. Back in the day, William was like, that's basically like a shepherd's name. So William mm. Shakespeare. So uh, shepherds were poets. So his name is basically, and Shakespeare is some Greek reference to another kind of writer. So his name is basically like in the modern day, it would be like scribbly script writer. Like not that obvious, but like it was a, his name is an is kind of an invented thing. Like this is just the word for a writer, not an actual yeah. dude's name. Almost and, like their form of John Doe in a way. Yeah, or or uh, Alan Smithy. You know, like when the when a I mean, you know, the when a movie sucks, they say it's directed by Alan Smithy. 
Um, yeah. You know, this was like, this is just a name saying this is a guy. And he was kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We all know somebody else did it, you know? Yeah. Now imagine us having a huge cataclysm and then somebody 2000 years later from the rubble digging up something that says that name of the director that you just mentioned. Yeah. And of course, we know it's not a real guy, but they would have no idea. And then they could build this whole this whole story about this guy was such a great movie director or whatever of his time. You know, it's like, that's how quickly something can get misinterpreted. I think it's happened with a lot of Egyptian mythology, with the Bible. You know, once things decay, people take their understanding into weird directions. Today, of course, literal Bible interpretations. Like, obviously, that's wrong. You're way too far away from the intended, uh, you know, you're way too far from the source material to get the intended uh, what point and instead you're taking it to really far off degrees out of your ignorance. Yeah. And yeah. And embarrassing the rest of us and teaching stupid things in school. I mean, our school's stupid enough. We don't need f- f- fucking creationism in there. Like we already have enough made up stuff. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. All right. So uh, Greg, thank you very much for coming on. It was a pleasure. Very quick two hours. Oh uh, man. Thanks for having me. I I'm really appreciative. I loved when you came on my show uh, it's a shame we couldn't meet up when I was in Portland uh, a while back, but you're an awesome dude, and I really enjoy your show, and I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we will uh, catch you guys next week. Uh, make sure to listen to Greg's show. All right, bye. For sure.